say, this is a great antique shop. Uh, actually, it's not an antique shop. Welcome to my shop of oddities. There's, a, there's supposed to be an echo. I might have sold my echo machine. Well, I've been to all the antique shops on this block. And uh, shop of oddities? Doesn't seem that odd. I mean, you got all the antique shop requirements. There's one box of 80 Superman comics no one wants, a VHS of as good as it gets, weird racist salt and pepper shakers, and one single fan to cool the entire shop. The only thing odd in here is that you're not calling it an antique shop. What are you looking for exactly? I'm looking for a ring. Oh, I like that one. The really gaudy one that's shaped like a serpent and it's glowing from some sort of malevolent internal energy. I like that. Oh, no, 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 no. That ring, that ring, that ring's not for sale. But it's so gaudy, I simply must have it. No, really, you don't want that ring. Why not? Because it's cursed. More cursed than those salt and pepper shakers are racist. This is the ring that all other cursed rings were wearing when they got cursed. But the gaudiness. I'm willing to pay a thousand dollars for that ring cash now. I told you, I will never sell this ring to anyone for less than four times that amount. Deal. Sold. And now to try it on. Oh, look at me. I feel like Donatella Versace. Undeniably so. But now that I have your cash in hand, I must warn you. This ring has destroyed many a man. Kings have fallen because of it. Great cities have turned into graveyards. Pearl Harbor was wearing this ring on that day that will live in infamy sometime in December. And now it sits upon your finger, you idiot. And when your bad luck hits you, I'll be there to pull the ring off your twisted, broken finger after you've been stampeded to death by bison or something. I can't tell the future anymore. I think I sold my crystal ball. Huh. So do I get a receipt or... Yeah, yeah, here. Quick, quick. Anyone have a piece of paper to write on? I, I got this receipt here. Ha! I finally done it. I have reinvented the wheel. We all thought circular? Nah, -uh. Not anymore. Get a load of this. Oval. And for being so generous with this piece of paper, I'm going to give you half the profits. Me? You there, in the gaudy ring! I've been following you for three miles. I'm casting the new, handsomer remake of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and I want you to play both parts. There's no way we'd stumble upon someone as handsome as you, twice, and bring that ring of yours. Yeah, anyone in here wearing a ring and I want a free pizza? Some cursed ring. You're wearing it wrong. Let me show you how to wear a cursed ring. Look, I told you. I've had it on for one second and my car's getting towed. See? Bad luck. Now that's how you wear a cursed ring. But you were parked in the red. So what? I do it all the time. Oh, great. You believe this? I just got a text from my wife. She's divorcing me now because I kept gloating to her about all the people I'm cheating on her with. Oh, now what? Of course. Just my luck. All that Circuit City stock I bought last week is losing me money. I told you. Cursed ring. This isn't the ring. It's your bad decisions. Look, I even slip the ring off your finger when you were talking. It's not the ring, it's you. You son of a bitch. Stealing a ring that you already bought. I'm just trying to illustrate. <laughs> See? You died wearing the ring while I was strangling you. Now that's how you wear a cursed ring. Hey you, I'm the devil. Come on, we're going out. But he had the bad luck of having a heart attack as I was crushing his trachea. It wasn't me, it was the ring. Come on, the devil? You don't think I know evil? It was the cursed ring that killed him, I swear. Kill? Who? You parked in the red again. Come on, you're going to hell. I didn't park in the red! Ooh, what a gaudy ring. <laughs> Uh, 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 uh.
just my luck. The devil had a heart attack in my hands as I was crushing his trachea, and now I have to run hell all because of this cursed ring. I swear, I will never sell this ring to anyone for any price and inflict them with bad luck and sorrow like this again. Quick, I'm looking for a ring and I have $10. Salt, looks like my luck is finally... My other car got towed. Welcome to the newest episode of Ally Meekly, the podcast that will have you saying, swell. Podcast that will have you saying, oh, it's time to pay my rent. Uh, thanks Nobody for the pays reminder. rent anymore. There's a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, they canceled it in March. Don't you remember? Oh, no. Your landlord's bad. Oh, you haven't been stockpiling money? Uh, <laughs> no, you don't live like Billy Holiday. You have a wad of cash in your bra at all times to pay rent. I keep a wad of cash in my mask just in case. <laughs> That's the filter I use for my mask. It's yeah, just it's cash. $100 bills. <laughs> Jealous. I use my stimulus check as, <laughs> as my... It's getting pretty old because we got it, you know, nine months ago or yeah. whatever. The government has paid us $5 a day for the last 33 weeks. Yeah. We can survive on one bag of Skittles a day, and it's fine. <laughs> if you color coordinate, yeah, go slow. The red ones cure coronavirus. <laughs> and the government will tell you that. So, look, it's December. There's theoretically going to be a new president next month. Yeah, theoretically. And this is episode uh, 84. 84. We know that number now. That's been confirmed. Yes. And this is the eighth creepy Christmas haunted Hanukkah episode that we've done. Isn't that isn't that swell? We ran out of haunted stories after the first one. <laughs> and now we've just been making up lies that How? thing are haunted. How brazen we were to use all our haunted stories in the first two years. I know. I was. I did three for this one, yeah. and I was like, I probably should just do two because I don't know how much more haunted stuff yeah. is in this city. But I felt that last year, and yeah. I found three really good ones this year. So yeah. I'm serious this time. This is the end. <laughs> the There's no, nothing else is scary. We also don't have a pun for nine, really. So we're going to have to. We'll we've got a year. Out. Episode spine. Uh-oh. We have to do it now. I came up with a rhyme. <laughs> nine rhymes with nine. What? Ryan Nimes said, right? Wow. 3PO, you should power down <laughs> for the night. Do you mind if I power down for a second? <laughs> Do you mind if I power down for a second while you talk about the things <laughs> I should probably remember from the prequels? Okay, good. I'll Do you mind be... if I power down while R2 does whatever he wants to do? And he's been like, yeah. kind of acting shady the whole day? Mind if I go to sleep while this flight risk... <laughs> <laughs> has free reign to do whatever he wants. The one of us that has wheels? Okay, so it's December now. Well, first off, let's uh, we got some new Patreon people that oh, we got to thank. Oh, I didn't know that. We've got a hefty amount. I mean, this is something of a Christmas turkey worth of Patreon people. Wow, I'm going to start the postcards a lot sooner now. That's bad news I'm for I'm going to have to not send them out a week after they <laughs> were expecting <laughs> that them. Due. By the way, Patreon people, you're supposed to be getting your postcards in the first week of the month. If you do not, please let us know. I'd like to know now if people are haven't been getting postcards. Well, I sent messages to most, like some of the older... You know, the old guard. Yes. And I do mean older by like age. <laughs> if your address changes or if you're not getting them, let us know. Yeah. Because Patreon, I assumed, told us when an address was changed and yeah. they did not. And okay. there were, I think, two people who I messaged who were like, yeah, I don't live there anymore. <laughs> let us know. But these are the new people. And this goes to you also, new people. Yeah. Especially you have homework, new people. <laughs> you thought this was all going to be just you pay us and we do things for you? No. <laughs> you pay us and we don't do anything for you and you do things for us. That's the way it works now. 
punks. So we've got Tony McDowell. Hi, Tony. He's got the chicken boy as the avatar <gasps> oh, on Twitter. Him. That's him. Oh, hi. Thank you for talking to us. Thanks for clucking at us, yeah. chicken boy. And we've got our comedy mother, Cindy Aravina. Cindy! Our comedy mom. Uh, she helped out with the art, was it art, not Art LeBeau. Who, art LeBeau. For the live show, the things, the music we had playing before the show yeah. with the fake announcers. And then we've got John Davey, who I think is part of the monkeys. <laughs> hi, John. Hey, John. And then we have Dan O'Keefe, who I think is part of George O'Keefe. Mr. O'Keefe, how are you doing? And then we have Christine Cadiz, C-A-D-I-Z, Cadiz? Hi, Christine. <laughs> How do you pronounce Cadiz? That's probably wrong, but I would say it so fast that people were like, I don't know if he said it wrong or not. <laughs> well, l- listen to that accent. It's so <laughs> can we, fast. Can we slow it down? <laughs> I don't know. It's too slow now to tell. Cottage cheese. Cottage cheese. Tony was the one who was uh, asking us on Twitter about the turd lanes for bicycles and where they're supposed to go. Is that what he was asking us? Yeah, he was asking us. If not taking the car's turn lane, how should a, a bike turn left? And I remember... Not my problem. That's my answer. <laughs> they should turn left into the car dealership. Uh, no, I... I, I, just thinking about it, I was much more like of a pedestrian when I rode a bike. Like I was like very close to the sidewalk and I, I did crosswalks and stuff. And I remember that I had to think of that. Oh, yeah. Other people who ride bikes are very much vehicles and they will yes. tr- turn lanes Look, and they we will were, use lanes. We were flippant about it because that's all we know how to be. But <laughs> it's true. Like what what is he, What is a biker who's trying to turn left? You can is use the turn lane. I looked it up. Y- yeah, you can. It's fine. It yeah. just freaks me out. Yeah, it freaks that, me like, out too because I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm this close to vehicular manslaughter. Yeah. Not or purpose, that person coming. But is like gonna, I'm going to like not pay attention for a second i'd like is it safer to cross like three times in the crosswalk instead of going in the left turn lane that sounds like a huge hassle I it's ha- i mean it's legal and if you can do it safely it's safe it feels like cars will hate you though it makes me nervous to see a biker going left when cars are speeding towards it and it's the same thing when i'm on the freeway and i see like a motorcycle goes between two cars oh i hate that uh, oh because i'm always, like what if i had wanted to plop my hand out my window just at that second and i clothesline this person yeah. it, and yeah. then it's what well, suddenly I'm the Terminator. It reminds me. Are you not the Terminator? <laughs> I'll return. You got it. You have got seen it. movies. You have watched a movie. Before. I have. I have seen Terminator Retribution or whatever <laughs> one of the stupid sequels is called. You've watched all the Terminators. I have, but I don't remember any of the sequels' names. Terminator Two: Judgment Day. Yeah, that. I'm, oh, oh come on. Any, Terminator come on. One: Judgment Day. <laughs> Terminator Three: Judgment, Judgment Day. Day. Terminator Four: The Verdict. <laughs> Are we still talking about the bikes? I have no idea. I hope not. Since we're talking about something from the last episode instead of a listener question this month we have there was like three people who i completely skipped over from our last episode who sent stuff in and then also we had recorded it earlier so people sent stuff in like the day after like am i too late yeah yeah you are yeah uh-huh. but we'll do it anyway because yeah. we accommodate people we're nothing if not accommodating these are the ones that people had sent in that we never got to so this one is from mklar6 on instagram they say tearing down mid-century modern architecture yeah grotesque it's a grotesque thing to do anything built in the 70s is not any fun anyways like 70s 80s 90s that's not fun well but like something from the before that the first half of the 20th century plus the 60s the first 60 percent of the 20th century i found this i think it's like skyscraper page it's like a forum and they have just like people have been posting pictures of really high quality high res pictures of los angeles through the decades and stuff and it makes me mad because there were such beautiful buildings well i always think like clearly those buildings are beautiful and you shouldn't tear them down but 
obviously in the 80s and 90s people didn't feel that way so and you say nothing from the 70s and 80s maybe in like 20 years people will be like yeah that circuit city is gorgeous oh wow that pastel circuit city is gorgeous is that a box (laughs) is it shaped like the box that the circuits (laughs) come in it's shaped like a computer chip all these in echo park like they're knocking down houses and stuff like you know you buy a property you can knock down the house and then they'll build like a complex and a really kind of narrow tight complex and they're all boxes they're all boxy and there's so many corners and everything's square and the doors are translucent or whatever and (laughs) ideas of streamlining but no actual practicality like it's it's, there's metal bars yeah for handles when you walk like when we go on when we go on our walks yeah and they are our walks What's happening? You don't watch SpongeBob, so you wouldn't get it, but somebody is... There's a starfish walking by. <laughs> Somebody's what? They have the same color scheme. I forget the name of the superheroes in oh, uh, Barnacle Boy and... Uh, Ernest Borgnine and Barnacle yeah, Boy? Er, yeah, Ernie B. You mean someone out there is Ernest Borgnine bounding? <laughs> that jogger from across the river. If you're uh, going to cosplay as Ernest Borgnine, go with the Wild Bunch, whatever his character was there. Why don't you play the character from Gattaca? <laughs> the one that looked like he was CGI'd in because he was on his deathbed. Uh... What were we talking about? <laughs> oh, jeez. You really threw me for a loop with this whole Ernest Borgnine and Barnacle Boy thing. Um, <laughs> what were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about mid-century modern 70s stuff. Like oh, 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 houses. I was talking. Yeah. I heard somebody say that like during quarantine, we've all lost about like 20% of our memory. And I think I've lost like 70% of my memory. Yeah, for sure. What were we talking about? <laughs> What were we just talking about now? Who's Ernest Borgnine? I'm <laughs> Ernest Borgnine. What the hell's a barnacle boy? When we go on our walks in this area, there's like a lot of older houses, but there's so, there's like more and more of the houses you're describing, and it's so unpleasant. It is. It, it, They're not like, nice to look at. No, I'm sure like, yeah, okay, the faucet doesn't leak, but like, what's the fun in that? <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to wonder if your house is haunted or not if the faucet's not leaking? <laughs> How's your wife going to have an affair with a plumber if you don't have a leaky faucet? Where's the drama? What am I going to pay all of this... Uh, uh, extra money I have for my stimulus check on repairing <laughs> if I have a brand new house. But even aside from houses, which like, but well, like Corky's. Yeah, that's not torn down yet, but I could see that. Yeah, yeah like that's an objectively good looking building. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it'll get torn down because Circuit City's coming back or something. <laughs> or Chum- All streaming. <laughs> Everything in Circuit City is streaming now. Wi-Fi wave city. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure it'll get torn down and turned into like a Chipotle that just looks like a, a circuit box. Yeah. Let's go to the next one. Again, we, we're getting too caught up on oh, these yeah, things just like we did in the last episode the next one is from sketch party on instagram oh i like sketch party there's a dead spider on my notes that's a that's a omen if you're looking for the omen of the next thing who'd have thought that sitting under this crumbling old building that should be torn down (laughs) a box should be put in this place yeah sketch party when i was going to mouthology sketch party was the one that everyone was talking about because it it was and it was every thursday at the hyperion tavern but they like put you just go and you drink and you draw and hang out with people oh that's what sketch oh yeah yeah if you think about the words you just read I was thinking like, oh, it's a sketch show. Oh, sketch show. No, yeah. it's a cool kind of sketch, not S- the bad kind of sketch. I guess I was thinking of um, Skit Parade. <laughs> That's who I just joined, the Skit Parade. Uh, they say our mayor thinking his job is to pose for photos with celebrities. Yeah, I'm yeah. sick of this guy. Yeah. And also, where is he? Like, what's he doing? Where is he? He used to st- he used to cradle us every single night at the beginning yeah. of this pandemic. And now, like, everything horrible is happening and he's, like, nowhere to be found. I haven't seen him in a while. He's probably just burning everything there with Jose Weezer's name on it. They're Both their names are on a piece of paper. 
paper gets to burn it now. <laughs> he's chloroformed and is trying to extract the part of everyone's brain who has memories of him and his staff sexually assaulting people. <laughs> Not sexually assaulting, sexually harassing people. Yes. The best part of this is, though, at leading up, I kept hearing like, well, he's going to be hired in Joe Biden's cabinet if he becomes president. That's why he doesn't really care. Joe Biden has been elected president. And now he, I keep hearing like, I haven't gotten a phone call. <laughs> I might not be going anywhere. Maybe I should take care of my Sandy. <laughs> Enough of him. So the next one is from Christopher Green. He says, as a dude who listens to metal and goes to metal shows, I've noticed that there are a ton of these too cool to show interest dudes yeah. who go to all these pre-COVID metal shows and just stand there with their arms crossed, scoffing at others who like to jump around and headbang. It's as if these cool guys go to concerts to just stand there and look down on others more so than to enjoy the music. I've also noticed this general lack of enthusiasm in other genres as if there is such an oversaturation of live music that people forget that they can let their guard down, forget about looking cool and have some fun. Also, people love to step outside for their cigarette or whatever the moment a local band opens up a show. (laughs) A lot of these elite music people blatantly show a lack of interest for smaller artists. You know what's so weird? I one time was at the Hollywood Bowl and I forget, I don't know who it was, but there was an opening band and the opening band was kind of famous, but they were still the opening band and not as famous as the main thing. And everybody talked over to them. Like for 40 minutes, everyone was talking over a band playing at the Hollywood Bowl, which was insane. (laughs) It was like the Strokes or something. And they're like, yeah, we don't need to hear this. It was Coldplay, but they were (laughs) opening up for Phil Collins. I know exactly what that guy's talking, Mr. Green's talking about. Yeah, there is a weird, like that's the place to let loose is like a concert in an enclosed space. That's the place where like there should be no shame in having fun and going in the pit and being pogoing everywhere you go i gotta skeet <laughs> i've gotta go and skeet at the metal show i used to go to like dudes. a lot of punk shows or anything with a, I, mean, I used to go to a lot of shows with like a pit and i wouldn't i mean i didn't enjoy it but i also wouldn't like look down on anybody who went in but i i, yeah. I did i do get a sense that some people were like oh can you just like watch the band perform hey i feel that way but i'm not doing it as a sense of coolness I you're just, aware of how uncool that makes you yeah i know that i'm not the cool yeah. dude yeah, and you never will be <laughs> maybe Every, anyone can change <laughs> if i could relate that to comedy a little bit when it's like an open mic and everyone's smoking a cigarette then like somebody will come into the yeah. open mic who has like yeah. who books a show or was like a writer for a tv show right. and everyone's like oh we gotta go in there and like it'll clamor around yeah or bill burr's at um bob's just, coffee i was just thinking about that god that was awful mm-hmm. did we ever tell a story on the podcast i don't know but let's tell it again <laughs> we were at bob's espresso which was owned by the guy who played De- not Damone. What is it? It was Damone from Fast Times yeah, at Ridgemont D- High. Is that his name Damone? I'm thinking of Timon and Pumbaa. Yeah, you are thinking of that. It was Damone's. Yeah, it wasn't called Damone's, but yeah. That's another place. That's probably an Italian restaurant. Damone's? That's Damone. Yeah, it was owned by that guy. So we'd see him and we'd be doing comedy and he would be steaming milk or yeah. pouring milk. I, I have a memory I will die thinking about yeah. is I told a joke, no one laughed, and I looked to the right and Damone from Fast Times at Ridgemont <laughs> High was holding a gallon of milk just staring at me. Some of the worst memories of my life yeah. were there but one night we we you know we signed up for the list we get there right on time so we're of course like 31 and 32 or whatever and that means <laughs> we that got there an hour early so we were last yeah we were last we went for a walk there was like the um, it was on lancashire and magnolia so we would sometimes like walk the away. village yeah area. what is it there that with all the statues of uh it's Bill the Cosby? M- it's the 
the Bill Cosby Memorial <laughs> Statue Garden. His career um, memorial. There was like a bunch of statues. It's a memorial of to TV his stars. morals. The like television academy, yeah, and they have a little. There's Jack Benny, and he's holding a yeah. And there's all these people. So we we like to just be amongst the legends. We just like to be there, and then pretend to be one of them, and then when people walk up, we mug them. Yeah, we mug them, and they don't know what's happening, and they blame Desi Arnaz. Oh my god, I just got mugged by Jackie Gleason. We would walk around that court and do the worst impressions we could of anybody and then so we walking back to bob's and there's like a cra- thunder thunder, thunder yeah. and a crowd a crowd pouring s- out of it the place is full inside yeah. sidewalk is full of people and and you and i just walk up like yeah like, and, and you said like was bill burr in there yeah and bill burr was and in bill burr, there. yeah i said bill burr because that's the only thing that a bunch of lousy comedians would <laughs> yeah. clamor over but and we look the at the window that could get them going bill burr and then he yeah he walks out everyone follows him and up next daniel zaffron yeah and everybody left yeah. with bill burr yeah but anyway bill burr opened for us so <laughs> you're right christopher green yeah you're right <laughs> people who go outside to smoke there in local bands are yeah. trash well as you and i being the local bands and feeling that being on that part of the yeah. that side of the experience doesn't feel good no. anyway so this next one's from rich Sone on instagram i walk a lot that's all he has to say. Uh, <laughs> Brag. I walk a lot. When an LA driver makes an error, say almost running me over in a mm. crosswalk because they are texting, at the last minute they narrowly avoid killing me. They will give me this insult magnifying little wave. It seems to say, oh, oops, we're cool though, right? It's a non-apology apology that seems to imply if I'm upset, I'm in violation of the chill doctrine. I hate <laughs> this wave as much or more than the obliviousness they have towards pedestrian safety. Yeah. I like the wave. I, uh, To be honest, I... Is it acknowledgement that I'm not trying to kill you yeah it is and also like i feel good apologizing for something and it feels like it cleanses everything you're putting yourself in the driver's spot though and you need to put yourself in the pedestrian okay, spot yeah. of almost getting killed and someone's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> oopsie oopsie as my foot is mangled in their in their axle okay yeah that's true maybe it is a little more annoying when you're the pedestrian yeah i know that happened a lot near i mean it happens a lot in hollywood for sure it happened a lot in glendale near where i work because it's like a neighborhood where everyone drives fast so people just like I don't know what it is, but people hate people crossing the street <laughs> in that part of Glendale, which is like in the hills. So I get a lot of that. And it's really frustrating because people will like see I'm like one step off the curve and like I could probably beat that point yeah. before he gets to the point where I hit him. Well, the thing that Melissa has noticed of people who live in the hills is like they know every curve. They yeah, know yeah. everything. So if you're a lowland dweller yeah. and you come into the hills and you're like, oh, I'm a little scared. I don't yeah. like where does this go? They're like, come on, I got to get home. I got to go yeah. to curve number 43 and I got to take it at 12 miles per hour. They get pretty upset about I that. get really upset about the windy road near my house which is very tight and people don't know yeah. how to maneuver I'm like you just I'm go here and I'll go yeah. here then I can go and then you can go past me god <laughs> damn make it. sure you don't accelerate here because your engine will get out <laughs> I think though that any time a drivers apologize or yeah, in any Recon- way to recognizing people your I think existence. that's a step in the right exi- uh, right existence <laughs> sure it's a step in the right direction if someone acknowledges that they almost hit you and they didn't yeah. but it's still kind of rude yeah it's still is. very rude yeah. you could have just not tried sometimes it really is a mistake yeah no for sure look that's what I told the judge <laughs> that was my plea and so what if the judge was the person i almost hit and we didn't know until we both got in the same room sometimes it's an important text and <laughs> i just didn't know okay so this is our last one we have this is from waterford beach who is Dave Raylia. Yeah, I knew that. I didn't know Hi, that Dave. until like I called him out like, who's this guy? And he <laughs> said, it's this? me. Reveal yourself. Who's also kind of our, our comedy granddaddy he in is a way. He ran granddaddy. the first open mic we ever went to. Yeah, and made sure we were okay all the time, which yeah. is very sweet of him. And guess what? I wasn't. Um, <laughs> he says, people who show up ridiculously late to events. So that kind of uh, that kind of goes in with the people who talk over the opening act yeah. or go out for cigarettes during the opening Oh my opening God, act. yeah. Like people who come really late to Dodger games and you sit in their seats and it's like the, or leave the eighth. Really 
really early from Dodger games. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. But uh, again, to bring it back to the Hollywood Bowl, I hate that so much when yeah. you think, I have so much room. These people didn't show up. And the show just started a minute ago yeah. and they show up. I'm talking about you and Ada, by the way. Hey, what do you want? <laughs> showed okay. up late. I, we, hey, you <laughs> knew we were coming. It's not like, I oh, I have all this room. No, you know that but, I'm coming. But other than the rudeness that you and Ada showed to me and Melissa, but like when that happens, yeah. like people who like, I know it's going to start 15 yeah. minutes early, so I'll show up 20 minutes. Yeah. It's going to start 15 minutes late. I'm going to yeah. show up 20 minutes late. That bus is a lot slower than I remember from the first time <laughs> taking it and I've taken it a couple times since then. I have to be like, don't do this again. Don't do this <laughs> You've again. You've got to get there like four Four hours early. Pay for parking. Just freaking pay for parking because this is ridiculous. And wait four hours until your car is uh, candy crushed out of the parking lot. Never taking that bus again because I've done it three times. I I will never park at the Hollywood Bowl. I'm not going to. I'll take the the red line. I don't care. We'll do it. We did that one time and park like in West Hollywood. We we parked by Mel's and then walked up to the Hollywood Bowl (laughs) and then ran into my brother along the way that we did. I didn't know was coming. Um, Okay. So that was last month. We've spent too much time. Okay. Let's get to this month. thing of the month do you want to go first because mine is a little involved it is a little involved and you're just going to be do a repeat of what i said once um but uh, with better health insurance i'm gonna do two real quick the morning that donald trump lost oh, the presidency and joe biden won yeah. i woke up to the sound of cheering in the streets that's and great. it was very refreshing i was out of town at oh the, you were you were in... so i did i was jealous like oh, i wish i could hear what's i wouldn't have gone out to celebrate yeah. but i would have liked to have it was like an evil, it, it was the end of return of the jedi it really <laughs> was the end of return of the jedi and i could just hear like the cheering everywhere and it was like there was an enthusiasm in the street and then uh, just on instagram i could see people all over celebrating so i i put the dog in the car i went and got Ada, and we were just driving around and we were driving through downtown and you know the people honking and stuff and people had flags yeah they were diverting traffic at some point and i wanted to see what was going on and down it was either first street or temple along city hall there was just like a parade of people right and they're playing big payback from james brown as loud as possible really? and it felt so good it was such it was a good yeah. being part of humanity yeah. moment the way to complete that it's the end of a return of the Jedi is when Donald Trump's body is burning in an open pyre. For all to see. And we're all Luke just staring at him like, yeah. I wish he could burn more. And we're playing drums on the head of Rudy Giuliani <laughs> and Chris Christie. <laughs> Stephen Miller's body just descending into a pit of the Death Star. <laughs> that parade was really great. I didn't say for very long, obviously, because of coronavirus. But I like parked in the outskirts. I'm like, wow. And I took like a video. <laughs> wow. wow. Democracy. People aren't scared of coronavirus and they should be. And then I went back <laughs> in my car. And then I don't know if it was that same day. It might have been. Well, we went mural hunting and we knew about the Estrada Courts in um, East LA, which is, is one that? of the projects where they... In um, the 70s where they painted a bunch of murals. I think it's Willie Huron and a bunch of other, um, I forgot their names. It's not Spark, it's... Willie Mural and... Willie Mural and Donnie Mural. No, uh, it's Spark or it's the the guys from Osco painted a bunch of murals there. So we walked around the courts. It was really nice. There was some beautiful murals there. And then across the street, I like I, I peeked over and there was a really like, across the street from a shot of courts in a kind of industrial area, there was like a lot of newer murals, like of uh, Maria Felix and there were some, like Kobe and his daughter and stuff. There was a really, it was a, it's a good area for murals. It's off of Olympic and I forgot the cross street and mural Olympic and mural at the intersection of blank wall and mural that's it blank wall and paint (laughs) boulevard so look I'll just tell you what happened to me this past month Can I read the funniest text and start it off or do you want to just tell it it's like in the hospital have a kidney stone I'm you now. If I can remember it correctly. <laughs> That's the haiku I sent to you <laughs> when I was doped up on morphine. So my thing of the month is going to be the emergency room at Kaiser Panorama City. Okay. So I woke up at... Ugh. It, <laughs> 
No, I'm kidding. Panorama City. <laughs> you didn't drive all the way to Woodland Hills? <laughs> so I woke up at 2 a.m. and I had my first thought, because we had been out of town. We drove, we did a full quarantine, and then we helped take care of my newborn nephew. So that- Congratulations. Th- thank you. It was not easy to quarantine, but I woke up and for some reason, my first thought was, oh, the baby's kicking me. <laughs> It makes even less sense when I say it out loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt like I had been sleeping with the baby and he was kicking me in the side. So I woke up like, oh God, this really hurts. And Melissa was like, what's going on? And I was like, I, when it dawned on me that I wasn't pregnant or holding a baby, it was like, I, 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 I think, think I have... a ghost of a baby kicking me. I told you this place was haunted by feet. <laughs> I, I thought like, I must have like gas or something yeah. like that. And I went into the bathroom to be not graphic about it. Nothing to it. Boy, did I drop a load. <laughs> I singed the hair off of my... <laughs> own face not to be too disgusting i felt like a little bit better and i was like i, I don't know what's going on exactly yeah. but i don't feel that good and it kind of went away and then like 20 minutes later it was really bad and i went into the bathroom and i th- was throwing up mm-hmm. and it wasn't feeling better and it became very clear i probably have appendicitis because all i could think of was when you got appendicitis yeah. and i was like i this is it i, I the thing it. i was i've been making fun of greg for for years it's happening <laughs> the to only me. thing that i've been making fun of him for <laughs> The one I'm so nice to him all the time, and the one thing, the one indulgence I take. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa's like, "Do do we need to go to the hospital?" I couldn't even answer her yes or no. Finally, like I got my strength together that I could walk down to the car. She drove me to the hospital. Coronavirus, which another thing, like I did not want to go to the hospital because I didn't want to get exposed or something like that. But I had to go to the hospital, and she couldn't come in because of coronavirus. So she dropped me off. It was three in the morning. Like you're at going to soccer practice. Yeah. Fun. See you later. She dropped me off. I was in my pajamas and like a puffy jacket with filled with like my medical card and stuff. I thought you were gonna say your guts because your hand went over your stomach when you said it. Pajamas oh full God. of my guts everywhere. Full of this appendix up. that was bursting <laughs> out of me. I was holding a plastic Ralph's bag because yeah. I was afraid I was gonna throw up again. Yeah. So I had to shuffle in in my sandals into the emergency yeah. room. I saw the security guard and I was like, I need help. And yeah. he's like, Go talk to a nurse. And yeah. I walked in and I got up to the desk and I was like. Like, I have appendicitis. <laughs> and I like was holding up my medical card and yeah. I kept like, I couldn't yeah, keep couldn't my hold. body up. And I yeah. was like falling down. She's like, I can't read it. I can't read it. And then she told me to, first off, she weighed me and I, I still am like, I didn't weigh that much. <laughs> there was a lot of stuff in my pocket. I don't weigh that much. <laughs> Let me just say, this is yeah, not I, my normal yeah. weight. <laughs> Let me throw up one more time and come back. <laughs> it's been a long quarantine, I swear. I sat down. She tried to take my temperature with the laser thing. She tried my forehead. She tried my wrist. Everything was so sweaty that she couldn't get my temperature and then she was about to put a thermometer in she's like wait didn't you throw up Oh, never mind. They, they couldn't get my temperature. And she said, okay, just they'll get you soon and yeah. just sit you down just and look wait. Hot. This looks like a 99. <laughs> she told me to sit down. So I'm sitting there. There's two other people. There's a, a, a woman and her daughter, her young daughter in the emergency room. And I'm sitting there like gyrating in pain. Yeah. And the other people got taken before me. Yeah. And they clearly were not in as much pain as I was. But I the like... have been dead for like three days. She was pretty still. <laughs> she didn't have a temperature. That's for sure. I was just like... Like your gym. Morrison. Yeah. <laughs> I was, what are they called? The Serpent King. Or <laughs> lizard the King. Lizard King. Salazar Slytherin himself. Jim Morrison. And I like, I'm still waiting there for like 15 minutes. And I, because I had a mask on the whole time, yeah. I was either about to faint or throw up again. So I said, I have to go to the bathroom. And yeah. I like, I ran into the bathroom, locked the door. It was a single person bathroom, took the mask off. You're not single. 
I'm kidding. Go ahead. Taken, but still ready to mingle bathroom I went into. I took my mask off and just lied on the floor of the bathroom. And I could not get up for like 10 minutes. And she's knocking on the door like, are you passed out yeah and i was like no and she said okay i've got a wheelchair for you so i i got out i sat in the come wheelchair back with a gurney i've come back with a doctor <laughs> don't bring me a wheelchair <laughs> she brought me in the wheelchair and then again left me in the waiting room another guy had come in after me who was kind of if he had what i had it wasn't as bad and yeah. he still got taken before me and then the nurse left so i was alone in the waiting room in a wheelchair and then finally they took me in and the first thing i said was i need pain medication and she said i can't do that until the doctor diagnoses you 30 minutes later the doctor comes in and he's like okay give me i got morphine and it felt kind of better and then they gave me the scan and had to inject me with some sort of dye and that pushed out all the morphine so all the pain came back and then i had to wait again for more morphine and now i'm still waiting for more morphine (laughs) now i can't I wake up and I'm like, I need it. So long story short, uh, which has already been long, it was kidney stones. Uh, they sent me home with serious drugs. Uh, and you wouldn't sell me a single one. And I'm so mad at you. Uh, the market's uh, <laughs> up in the air right now. But um, no time for freebies right now. Uh, everyone's home, Greg. Everyone's making their own morphine. <laughs> this first lockdown was sourdough bread. Now yeah. make your own morphine. Uh, yeah. uh, and we're but, getting good at it. But uh, yeah, it was the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And I got the kidney stone out. And then to add insult to literal injury, I had to go back in to drop off the kidney stone that I <laughs> I had saved in a thing and then to add even more insult to that they're like okay we're gonna have you do this urine test and they gave me it looked like the thermos that a construction worker mm-hmm. from the 30s would yeah, drink out of it does that's and, what I, exactly what i thought it looked like a thermos <laughs> that came out of a lunchbox they told me all right so you've got to keep this in your refrigerator and pee into it for the next 24 hours yeah so i had a jug of my own urine in the refrigerator between the orange juice and the milk is it not halfway between <laughs> mine is it, it was just an awful humiliating experience but the nurse and look they were doing all that they could do yeah. and they were great yeah. about it like she I don't know what I would have done died uh, and and also like they were fully like they had great masks on yeah. they were all and they have to do this every single day mm-hmm. for who God knows who's coming in with yeah. what diseases and they're there doing all this and not upset about it which I would be furious <laughs> that I had to do all this yeah of course you would uh- <laughs> <laughs> they were great and awful situation was uh, saved you were better like the next day which drove me crazy because when i had a kidney stone i was laid out for three days the that's, second day was the worst that's what i keep i kept they're like you know it could be hours could be weeks I, i'm so glad that i like by four that afternoon it was out yeah and i felt completely fine but now i still have more in my body it turns out that may or may not come out so i'm constantly uh, afraid and i am terrified my body's gonna turn on me now i mean that's what bodies are for at certain point is to just turn on you but not mine I'm i so raised young. you i raised you from a fetus <laughs> that was my month Sounds pretty cool. Um, I think I remember when I said my thing of the month was going to the emergency room. He's like, I can't believe this. And I hope that you can believe it now. Look, I didn't want to do it because I didn't I didn't want to give you anything. <laughs> but I've done literally nothing else this month except get sick. It is true. I've talked to you. You've done nothing else but get sick. So yeah, anyway, okay. let's get to this episode. Yes. We've gone way too long yeah. with the beginning stuff. So uh, this is our haunted episode. We were trying to come up with a, um, like a theme that yeah. we've done for the last few years. Couldn't come up with anything, but I kind of missed the grab bag that we're going to yeah, do today. Just, yeah. just random crap. Just random crap we read on message boards. <laughs> but before we start with it, yes. our traditional oh, yes, fireplace must begin. 
cozy. Oh. oh, yeah. I got my old man sweater on. I'm taking my shoes off. I'm putting on another pair of shoes like oh, Mr. Yeah. Rogers. I'm just, just burning documents, just throwing whatever's flammable into I that I never thing. heard of Jose Weizar. <laughs> I don't even know who that <laughs> in is. In particular, this is Eric Garcetti's fireplace <laughs> this year. I can't wait for the illusion that we're in this cozy cabin, but then the ducks and the cars are going to be driving <laughs> by. I like So, yeah, my first one, There's a. Mo- it's a monster. This is a mo- <laughs> It was right. a monster tale. I don't want to like, because I, I, I want to give, I like to give at the beginning, like what I'm going to be talking about. Yeah. So it's not like we're 10 minutes in. What is he getting yeah. at? Yeah. But I don't want to give too much away with these things. Yeah. I've ditched my titles for this episode yeah. because I don't want to exactly. spoil what's coming. Well, here we go. Time to get a little strange. Okay. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the reference. You like that? You no. like that? You little meta pervert? <laughs> There is a lake. It's in the furthest northern reaches of Los Angeles, and you have to go through Santa Clarita to get there, but it's a lake nonetheless. It's just as made out of morphine, which is what everyone in Santa Clarita is <laughs> apparently into. But in, the, wish. but in this lake dwells something evil, which is why it has a name that if you rearrange the letters and take some out and put some new ones in, spell just that. Evil Elizabeth Lake. <laughs> it's called Elizabeth Lake. Okay. Do you know about this? I Do you know, know Elizabeth Lake? I know Elizabeth Lake. You I don't, don't, I, I know that it's a thing. I've seen it on a map. I've never been there. Okay. But so, so you don't know the legend of Elizabeth Lake? I don't. This is a pretty good story. Okay. I like this one. Uh, prior to 1834, it was known as Laguna del Diablo. You know, really? Do you know what that means? Uh, you know Devil Lake? <laughs> the devil's name Elizabeth, by the way. <laughs> this confirms it. It's canon, but retcon. We're retconning it. We're, <laughs> we're deep faking the devil right now. So supposedly the name came in... In 1780 from Junipero Serra, who was something of a Diablo himself, <laughs> uh, something of an Elizabeth. As the story goes, a group of Spanish explorers were traveling around this area. They got stuck in mud around where Elizabeth yeah. Lake now is. Well, you'll... Okay. I don't want to mix too much of geological facts and legend, but okay. uh, they were there. Frustrated and utterly Spanish, he shouted that he would sell his soul to the devil in exchange for a new road to get out of the mess that they were in. And when you know it, pregunta and you shall recibe beer el diablo appears the devil himself showed up at our humble elizabeth lake and he took him up on that offer a new road was made but once it was the explorer decided this probably wasn't worth it (laughs) (laughs) i was only passing through i could have just waited like 80 years and there would have been a new road and i would have still had my soul i could have just never come back which is what people in that era did why don't i just carry the wagon (laughs) so he told the devil the deal's off i like this is stupid i'm not giving you my soul surprisingly the devil didn't just kill him right then and there but instead he created Elizabeth Lake. The legend is that the devil created Elizabeth Lake and inside of it he placed his favorite pet and warned that his pet would terrorize anybody who came near this lake. So that's the legend. The Spaniards of course didn't care and just left not thinking of the trail of destruction they were leaving behind but now there was a new lake in town and it was filled with scary. And that's the story of Elizabeth Lake. It's a great tale. Thank you so much. I'll get on to mine now. Other stories say that the devil made the lake specifically for his favorite pet or that he put the pet in there to guard it because deep inside of it there's a gateway to hell at the bottom of this lake which could be since it's over the san andreas fault so maybe there's some deep tube going somewhere to elizabeth's house but even earlier than the spanish this area apparently had a reputation of evil in the keech native days also i don't know the stories but it was not not well like no it was not a friendly place to be they tended to live near water except that water that's bad water that's bad water whatever the origin it's long been believe that this lake was both created by the devil and that something evil lurks inside of it but these are just legends right right 
Daniel, answer the answer right now, please. Please don't stop reading. Please don't stop reading. It's like a game of Jumanji. If you don't finish the whole story, we live in it. That's what all the rest of the chumps I'm about to tell you about thought, that it's all just legends. Yeah. The first recorded incident happened in the 1830s when a guy named Don Pedro Carrillo decided to build a ranch on the shores of the lake because the soil around there was really fertile. Because it's a lake. Things were going well for a while, but then one night a fire broke out that burned down every single part of his ranch. And he had no explanation for what could have started it and what could have made it that destructive. Like everything was gone. Then again, they only dry wood was used for construction back then. So whatever. whatever. Yeah. Nice try, Elizabeth. I'm going to marinate my house in gasoline. I heard it's good for the environment. They had so much gasoline in the (laughs) 1830s. What else were they going to do with it? Yeah, what else? It was coming out of the ground probably. I don't know how gas works. That's what the lake was originally made out of. (laughs) He soon left the area not giving too many details of why other than saying conditions there made me prematurely old that was the only explanation he wanted to give of why he left that area prematurely old like he he had been through a lot okay but what happened this lake was a but how old this lake was a popular stop for people to rest on the trail to la around this time so around 1855 americans started settling around the lake and again things were fine for a little bit but then the strange things started happening people would hear weird noises and screaming all night and then they also started having these weird visions like everyone around there started seeing things i guess then again they started experiencing things that they refused to talk about and they all left the area selling their homes either at a loss or just abandoning them altogether just to get away as quickly as possible. But we still don't know what's happening. The next group to move in was in 1883. It was a trio of Dons. Don Chico Lopez, Don Chico Vasquez, and Don Guillermo Mentiroso. Chico Chico Mentiroso is the name <laughs> of my law firm. Chico Chico uh, and Mentiroso. My Marx Brothers. <laughs> my favorite Marx brother twice and then my favorite Spanish Marx brother. So two of these guys came from pretty notable families. Chico Lopez was the nephew of the guy who found gold in Placerita Canyon, which was the first time oh. gold was discovered in California. Okay, I told that. I don't know yeah, if people the, have heard this story, but I've the told it every episode. Yeah. <laughs> It's the only place I go to these days. And then the Chico Vasquez, you might guess, was the brother of the notorious bandit who we we also wow. can't stop talking about, Tiburcio Vasquez. Wow. So these are two LA lore people. Tiburcio Vasquez even used a cave on the ranch property to hide out sometimes. Oh. So now this lake was renamed Laguna de Chico Lopez, which I don't know. They must have drawn straws to be like, which one? Who likes it the most? Though? Yeah. <laughs> we can't name it Laguna de Mentoroso. <laughs> we can't go from Laguna del Diablo to Laguna de Mentoroso. Laguna- also, like, you can't, can you just go to a lake and rename it? Yeah, they bought the land. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They bought La- the land. Next person to own it, Laguna de Muerte. For several months, again, things were fine as they were living here. But then some of their livestock started going missing. And that was a problem, but not unheard of because this area attracted a lot of grizzly bears around that time because okay. of there was water. But then a strange thing happened, started happening at night. A giant shadow with wings would fly over their houses every single night. Then one day they heard a loud whistling coming from the lake and smelled this horrible smell. Got anything to say about a horrible smell? I didn't know that you stopped by. Shadow with wings. I'm going to say it. Mothman. <laughs> Laguna de Mothombre? Yeah, Laguna de Mothman. So when they went over to investigate, they finally saw it. The thing that had been troubling people. The devil's favorite pet. They described it as being bigger than the biggest whale, but with wings and flippers for legs. Which is kind of like a whale. So it was roaring and splashing in the lake and it was churning the water into a froth. They took out their guns and shot at it, but the bullets seemed to bounce off of the skin, so of course they ran away. Chico yeah. Chico Mentiroso, you think they're <laughs> you think they're going at... They, <laughs> what, are they monster hunters all of a sudden? Uh, yeah, I didn't realize. They didn't bring their silver stakes or anything. <laughs> the next day they put together a posse and went out looking for it, but 
but they couldn't find it. But from then on, the sightings became more frequent of this monster. One night they saw it flying out of their horse stable and found that 10 of their horses were missing in one night. Oh, jeez. This was getting to be too much for the ranch hands who started to quit one by one as the livestock slowly started to quit into the stomach of the devil's <laughs> pet one by one. And pretty soon, Chico Chico and Menti Rosso, <laughs> they were forced to sell the ranch and leave. Nobody can stay on this yeah. land for very long. The man they sold it to was Don Felipe Rivera in 1886 who embodied the spirit of LA real early on and got the idea, I can make money off of this monster. So it took like three people living there before someone's like, let's yeah, sell it. Step her right up. <laughs> Come on down to Chico Chico and Menti Rosa's <laughs> family circus. His plan was to capture it and sell it to a circus. Wow. Supposedly, he had already signed a contract Folly with- Folly of man. Folly of Kong. <laughs> No, and they watch King Kong? No flash photography because it doesn't exist yet. <laughs> Supposedly he had already signed a contract with the Cells Floto Circus who also had Buffalo Bill Cody at the time. Oh, wow, so it was okay. going to be come see Buffalo Bill Cody and the Devil's Pet. <laughs> they were going to pay him $25,000 in exchange for the Devil's Pet which is yeah. in 1886. Astounding. You could buy the Devil for that. <laughs> you could buy all the souls the Devil has collected. The Devil comes for a deal and I'm like but I have more money than you. I don't understand. How about I just pay you to build a road? <laughs> so Rivera went hunting around the lake for it and he found it sleeping on the shore of the lake the way he describes it it was 45 feet long a body as big as four elephants it had six legs big wings and the head of a bulldog okay i like i can't even picture, picture it in my head i see like the drawing where you do it's like one hat like the pages flip <laughs> yeah like it, it cut into threes <laughs> and then like a bulldog a whale but it's got wings i was like wow this sounds horrifying oh it's got the head of a bulldog that's pretty <laughs> cute um, i probably get along with it even though every bulldog scares the crap out of me i know I probably love it. It's probably lovable. <laughs> I'm scared of most bulldogs. Not this one. <laughs> so he sees it. He sees it on the lake. Yeah. When he got near it, though, it woke up and it started swimming into the water to get away. So he shot at it. But yeah. again, the bullets just bounced off of it. Right. He said when the bullets hit it, it rang off of it like armor, like a suit of armor. Like, ding. Yeah. Ding. Like shooting or, a submarine. Was it just a submarine and they never seen it before? Oh no. Oh, no. This is the Japanese it? were attacking early. So it, it's it's like pinging off of them yeah. and it actually flattened the bullets. Like Jesus. he saw the shells were. Yeah. I don't know if he ever made a second attempt to catch it for the circus, but I do know he didn't catch it. <laughs> so that same year in 1886, on July 15th, according to an LA Times article, a guy named Peter B. Simpson was traveling from Nevada to Santa Barbara with his wife and three kids. He stopped at the lake for the night. It was almost a full moon that night, but he was woke up in the middle of the night because of a loud hissing and roaring he heard coming from the lake. So there's a pattern we're, we're yeah. seeing from all these accounts. Then he started smelling a foul odor coming from the lake. Guess what? It wasn't me this time. <laughs> <laughs> it like <laughs> sulfur? Uh, that kind of sounds believable because but there's not volcanic activity. It's just yeah. the San Andreas Fault, but just like a, a horrible smell. Right. I don't know. I, I they don't can't know. capture smell in uh, in history. They're cutting up the streets in Frogtown right now and it smells awful around there and I'm like I wonder it, if it's just yeah. like... Burbank smells like that all the time so i'm not yeah. really that surprised oh but Burbank's so magical though it's so magical so magical just close your nose just don't follow your nose <laughs> it's the motto of Burbank. <laughs> don't follow your nose be home by sundown <laughs> he starts smelling a foul odor like i said which he said the odor was so thick it actually manifested as like a mist that floated Ooh. over the whole area yeah. is that what Frogtown is like i don't know it's um fog so he grabbed his winchester and ran over i'm gonna shoot the smell those other people had pistols i got a winchester <laughs> the gun that defeated the devil so he ran over 
over to make sure his cows were okay, but all he saw was that there was a black cloud over the lake and the water was boiling. So he didn't know what to make of this. So he just went back to bed, but was awoken up again by absurdly strong winds. Like he first thought there was a cyclone hitting them. It was so powerful. Then all of a sudden things went quiet and then the wagon they were sleeping in got lifted off the ground and dropped 20 feet away. The cows started stampeding and there was a dark figure flying through the air. And then he heard this commotion off in the distance that he said sounded like 50 battering rams trying to get into a fortress. So he went to investigate and this is how he described the devil's pet when he saw it. 30 feet long, a warm reddish color with a shaggy mane on the neck and a long snout, sharp yellow teeth, a long barbed tail. Oh, my kidney stones are acting up. Oh God, it's activated. My doctor told me not to talk about long barbed (laughs) tails. Cryptids. So it had bat-like wings, long legs, and two giant eyes that gleamed like fire. So that's what it looked like to him. The noise was because this crashing noise, it was attacking a herd of antelope. So they were all kind of like crashing into each other with their horns. Of course, he shot at it again. But again, the bullet bounced off and then the monster flew off with an antelope in its mouth and splashed back down into the lake. The next morning, he went to the scene of the incident to make sure, see if it actually happened. Like, did I just, was this some sort of dream from the 1800s? Did I eat a weird cactus? Maybe I shouldn't have drank that brackish water from Nevada. (laughs) They told me not to lick any toads when I get to California and I did. Sure enough. How can you resist? (laughs) He found on the ground scales that must have been shot off the monster. They were round red and the size of dinner plates. Uh, He then packed up his stuff and headed west and tried to pretend that that never happened. The next guy who moved here was a big figure in LA history. And when I say big, I mostly mean literally. A guy named Miguel Leonis. You probably, you know from the Leonis from the Leonis Adobe in Calabasas. Miguel Leonis, they called him the King of Calabasas. Laguna de Calabasas, they called him. And he owned a lot of land in the area. But what distinguished him was that he was huge. He was from the Basque region of Europe. So his other nickname was El Basque Grande because he was six foot four and had a reputation for being tough as the skin of his beloved Calabasas is. <laughs> big tall, not big wide. Big tall. Big, but also like but burly. Like bulky, yeah. yeah. God help you if you were a squatter on his land because he would deal with you violently. Like that's how he would get squatters yeah. off of his land. And when he bought this ranch next to Elizabeth Lake, he found himself facing the biggest squatter he's ever seen. The devil's pet. The first few months of his- You gotta pay rent! <laughs> I'm not paying for all that water. <laughs> so the first few months of this time there were fine but then as it always went his livestock started getting eaten yeah. by something i wonder what i like that the monster's like i'll give him a little time to settle yeah. in and Does then he i'll seem... start eating his livestock um, i think he'd be okay with this um <laughs> seems like a nice guy. i'll be a na- a good neighbor he's new to the neighborhood <laughs> um, a week or two <laughs> so he knew about the monster and wasn't going to put up with it so one night he hid in the shadows by the river waiting for the devil's pet to reveal itself and finally the monster that leonis described as griffin like came out of the water and Leonis El Basque Grande charged at it. He jumped at it immediately. He shot it repeatedly, but as we know, bullets just bounced off. So instead, he ran up to it, smashed the butt of his rifle into its nose, and punched it in the right eye. I'm stronger than bullets. My fist can hit stronger (laughs) than any sort of bullet from the 1800s. So the monster was so shocked that it was being attacked, not least of all by a man from the Basque country, that it ran away back into the lake and was never seen again. Ever since this encounter, Elizabeth Lake has been a safe and quiet place, but the question remains, what the hell was going on? 
going on in Elizabeth Lake? Like, what happened? It's easy to brush it off as some tall tale or something. Yeah. But why was this place frowned upon by the natives? And why, in a place with such fertile soil, did so many people refuse to live here for so long? Yeah. Horace Bell even wrote about how weird it was that nobody would live there in his 1918 book on the Old West Coast. So it was like, everyone knew, like, don't go to this area. Why? Some said it was just a California condor, which maybe, but those only have a wingspan of like nine and a half feet. And the description... How do you see something that's almost 45 feet long, like probably a condor? Like what? That's what they do that with Mothman all the time. We're like, it was, you probably saw an owl. Like, it, no, I saw a man with yeah. wings. <laughs> and he had a red eyes. Yeah. He was talking to me about what's about to happen. I don't think <laughs> it was an owl. Directions. Uh, owls are pretty smart, but they don't know the future. That kind of makes sense because like, yeah, condors have a big wingspan. They have a tail and they usually smell because they yeah. eat dead things. Yeah. But like they yeah. were talking about something bigger than a condor. Some said yeah. it was a giant snake, which makes even less sense. Yeah. Also kind of scary though. <laughs> I'm not going to disregard that as not scary. That's scary. But also Even if it is just a giant about. snake, not going there. <laughs> Some do say that something is still living somewhere near the eastern end of the lake. But the problem with that is that Elizabeth Lake, it got that name, by the way, because one time a girl named Elizabeth fell into it and everyone made fun of her and it just stuck. That's how it got the name Elizabeth Lake. You're kidding. Nope. That's Elizabeth Lake. Was it Queen Elizabeth? Oh, oh yeah. That's, yeah. The person making funny. fun of her was George Washington. <laughs> the thing with Elizabeth Lake, though, it's really not that deep of a lake. It's only yeah. about 20 feet deep in the middle, and it often dries up completely, and there haven't been any devil's pets found in there. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it never happened. happened, because the story actually does not end with Leonis. I'm going to have to dip out of Ellie Meekly jurisdiction just to wrap this Don't one up. Don't do it. I have to. Don't. But, here, stamp my passport. Okay. <laughs> they say that after Leonis curb stomped the devil's pet, it healed up for a few days and then took off for a new home. Coincidentally, around this time, there was an incident just west of Tombstone, Arizona. In early 1890, two ranchers were walking through their land and found what they described as a huge alligator with a long tail and wings collapsed and exhausted on the ground. And being people from Arizona, of course, their first reaction was to shoot at it. Yeah, we better make jerky of this. Yeah, take your mask off and let's shoot you. <laughs> the bullets didn't do anything of course but it turned and charged at them but it was so tired it couldn't reach them before they just kept firing more and more bullets until it finally collapsed dead they examined the body and measured it at 92 feet long 78 foot long wings four feet wide an eight foot long head with sharp teeth and giant bulging eyes as big as dinner plates wow on april 26 1890 a story ran in the local newspaper about this of what is now known as the infamous thunderbird photograph you can look this up okay the picture was supposedly of the ranchers and some other men standing under this creature pinned to the side of a barn. It's infamous because one, it was a picture of a bunch of men standing under a dead monster. But two, there's also no proof that such a picture ever actually existed. The story definitely was in the tombstone epitaph, but even though some people swear that they saw this picture in the records, there was never any picture accompanying this story. Okay. So there's some pictures that circulate out there of this, but those are all fakes that were made after 1963 when a guy started pushing the the conspiracy theory of this story but again what the hell happened west of tombstone arizona (laughs) like what's going on the the area was struggling for money at the time but there was no chamber of commerce or anything like that that would be pushing these tall tales to like come see the alligator monster that we (laughs) shot and even if it was that only one of the two town papers ran the story and then there was never any follow-up so it wasn't like come on come on the monster's here so whatever actually happened there and in elizabeth lake is now the stuff of urban legends but try telling yourself that next time you're driving home late at night after having trampled all over the fresh poppy fields that (laughs) arrived Right over there. So I'd have no idea what happened. It's very curious. Yeah, that's a good monster. A that good is a local good mon- monster. Story. That's a good cryptid. And we don't have a lot here. We don't. That's the second one I found. No, yeah. 
third maybe what's the other one uh, Clemente, Clemente Clem, Clem the uh, <laughs> Chico's monster yeah, Chico's and monster. Uh, there was one monster in Griffith Park that was like shaped like oh a, that's right yeah, yeah. Oh, it was just a curse fog that's <laughs> <laughs> just a condor so yeah that's my first story it's pretty weird like I'd like that to is? go check out that lake but uh, I'll go right now let's, let's just skip this and go let's just go and wait out there till the <laughs> smell comes I think I smell something <laughs> I think I smell something bad <laughs> he who smelt it deviled it <laughs> the devil so okay. yeah what have we got from you now this one is very creepy to me and if you need me to explain why I think it's creepy I'm willing to do that is it spooky or creepy it's creepy okay good it's echo park in 1922 creepy and a wealthy garment manufacturer named fred osterreich and his wife walberga but we'll call her dolly (laughs) they get home to 858 lafayette place and they are in the middle of a heated argument when they get home and as the fight intensified a man emerges from a part of the house and shot fred three times and took his diamond watch off his wrist then he shoves the wife into a closet and returns into the attic from where he emerged where he had been living for eight years hang on you want me to ask you why you might think that's creepy that's i don't know i was writing i'm like well daniel thinks like dancing skeletons are scary i don't know if he'll think a man living in your home or you're unaware of a man living in your home is scary is he paying rent though (laughs) how much do you put down for that is he pulling his way you know we have like an attic space in our apartment yeah and it's swung open twice in the middle of the night and it's the scariest thing ever but when that dear david stuff stuff was coming out i was like dear david's up there (laughs) i know dear david's up there but i recently just put like they say to like make your apartment warmer yeah. put weather stripping around uh-huh. like the edges of that thing oh yeah so i have that there and i check it every day like has it come loose <laughs> <laughs> that is something that has always terrified me, me. yeah people living in but the even attic. scarier coming out of that attic dancing skeletons <laughs> that would really do it for me you're offbeat that would put the final nail in the coffin which is also scary to me. <laughs> <laughs> this is a story of the batman of echo park alternatively oh the garrett God. ghost i've heard of this okay so neighbors heard three gunshots that killed fred the and bruce came- wayne of echo park the bruce wayne of echo park yeah he lives in the bat cave and he's mostly just touching himself <laughs> neighbors heard the three gunshots that killed fred and then came by and found him obviously deceased and found his wife hysterical locked in the closet they find out from her that a burglar had made his way into the home and killed fred for money but was only able to get his wristwatch this is an obvious red flag to police a man of great wealth in a home full of heavy things that could get pawned and he's only scrapped for his watch and like why why go back in the Okay. <laughs> also, there's no sign of a break-in, which, uh-huh. as we know already, there's not going to be. But based so on this... So it seems like you, you, you spoiled the surprise at the beginning here. No, I gave you the best part up uh-huh. front. Show well, some showmanship. You're going to sell me this to the cell's flawless circuit? This is going to go on stage on the Buffalo Bill Cody? I mean, the if this was a, the entire story as that one paragraph, yeah. I could sell it, baby. <laughs> one paragraph horror stories? Yeah, this is Ernest, I mean, Ernest, Ernest Hemingway wrote Ernest this Hemingway. one, didn't he? But based on this and very little evidence to go on, there was no suspects, no leads, and it was the case was as dead as Fred Osterock. His wife Dolly eventually moved out of the house like a couple months later and she lived Goodbye, with Goodbye Dolly. That's what I should have titled this, and it would have not spoiled anything. So she moves out of the house. She's ready to make new memories. I believe she lived at 101 North Beachwood Drive after this, which is in... Why does that sound familiar? What else is on Beachwood Drive? I think you might be oh, thinking like of the Beachwood Hollywood Canyon. Sign. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, you might think... I don't know if it's near there or not. I looked it up and I... I'm thinking of beaches and woody cars. That's I'm what you are of, thinking, I'm thinking of. of and they're always again. linked as far as t-shirts for tourists go. <laughs> as far as shirts they sell on the Venice Boardwalk, <laughs> yeah. At this point, she moves out. She's living on Beachwood Drive, and she began having feelings for her real estate attorney, Herman Shapiro. 
So she was so smitten with Shapiro that she gave him a gift, a diamond watch. What? The one that her husband, rest his soul, was supposedly killed over. Huh. And as she would explain to him, she later found it in a window seat cushion. But don't tell anybody. A I, window seat cushion? Yeah. What is that? Brand Library has a big window, and then they have a seat oh. cushion that you could sit against the window. Mm, window okay. seat cushion. It's ri- rich people thing. It's rich people stuff. <laughs> you know what's in my window? Basil that I'm growing, because I can't <laughs> afford to buy basil. Don't tell me about your seat cushions in the window with diamond watches in them. You know what's on my window? Dead flies. They thought they were going <laughs> to get I out. Eat. I'm Renfield. <laughs> so she finds the name and she gives it to Herman Shapiro. All the while, right above their heads in the attic of a new house altogether, a man named Otto Sandberger continued writing his novels on a typewriter. Wait, what? Wait a minute. So they moved into a new house? And Let's s- go back to the 19 aughts in Milwaukee. Okay. And we'll talk about Dolly a little right. bit. She was born in Germany in 1880. Laverne and Shirley. Laverne and Shirley and Dolly. Shamil town. <laughs> she was born in Germany in 1880. Her name's Wahlberger Korschel. They called her Dolly for short. And she. Wait a minute. Her first name is Wahlberger? Wahlberger. Oh, Wahlberger. Wahlberger. So it is the Mark and Donnie Wahlberg. That's how they would pronounce their own store. Yeah. Wahlberger. Wahlberger. If there's a, a female in their family, she's probably named Wahlberger. So is, it, is, is the Wahlberg hamburger place, Wahlbergers, a play on Wall Burgers? And, or is this like a reference to like their grandma who is Wahlberger from Germany? I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> Let's go back to 1900s Milwaukee. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg, you're familiar. Yes. Marky Mark. Oh, that's right. He Hang had on. a burger thing. He was a singer. Marky Mark. Oh, you, might know him. you know his brother Don. He's also a singer. He's also a good actor too. I like him a lot. They opened up a hamburger place called Wahlburgers. Oh, you're right. You're so that's what right. I'm that's playing what you're off of here. To. Sorry, <laughs> but um, now I'm genuinely wondering: like, is it a play on words, or is this a reference? Like, is they did they have a grandma from Germany named Wahlburger, and it plays on both levels? Should we stop the whole episode and find out? Mark Wahlberg lives like right over here <laughs> in my Mark attic. Wahlberg's an He's, actor. He has to live. <laughs> studio city somewhere <laughs> he's a working actor he must be nearby <laughs> because you said mark Wahlberg is a singer i keep forgetting that he's also an actor too and what an actor and what an actor boogie nights other stuff probably uh, the one where he steals money you know boogie nights <laughs> so she comes to america don't say boogie nights this close to somewhere where they filmed the paul thomas anderson movie he or, might, oh no Maya rudolph might show up god forbid god forbid the wonderful actress Maya <laughs> yeah, rudolph Maya might rudolph. show up one of my early crushes Maya rudolph <laughs> Oh, you mean Kamala Harris? Anyways, I hate when people do that. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Dolly comes to America. She's born in the 1880s in Germany, comes to America. Life is pretty awful here. She moves to Milwaukee and it's just like whatever. In all fairness, bad choice. Bad choice, yeah. In also, her- in all fairness, I think one of our Patreon people this month is from Milwaukee. Oh, so uh, It's probably really lovely now, but I'd in like, like to, hey, the turn of the century. Schlamazel, I'd love to go there. Turn of the century probably sucked. She marries Fred in her 20s and he's pretty wealthy. Fred was a apron manufacturer and Dolly was an obedient housewife. But he was just stubborn. How many har- stories of this? do we have of like early 1900s yeah. of he was a this and she was at home yeah she was at home just ironing whatever she could find she would wrinkle stuff and then iron yeah. it all day she was long. at home getting ready to say goodbye to her children <laughs> apart from being an, an apron manufacturer which is where he made most of his money he was also a hard drinking brute and he left plenty to be desired what was desired came knocking on her door in 1913 in the form of a quiet 17 year old sewing machine repairman who worked for her husband Otto Sandhubber when he arrived to find the lonely housewife Wahlberger ma- Sandhubber I like the sound of that yeah if she married him Wahlberger Sandhubber so he arrives to her house to fix the sewing machine and she met him wearing a silk robe and little Mm -hmm. owls and the two pretty much blinked on the spot (laughs) 
and it became a long affair. And <laughs> Not to get too graphic, but they boinked hard. Hard. Right there. Right then and there. Vigorously. In the dirt. Repeatedly. Halfway outside, halfway inside. The sewing machine, watching. <laughs> Judging every movement. Going up and down, up and down, up and down. But again, Imagine, not to be too graphic. like Hitchcock always has like trains <laughs> yeah. going through instead he just has like sewing machine like catching on fire. It's going so fast. It's like embroidering the number 69 on a shirt. Pump, 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 pump. Any neighbors who questioned seeing this young guy coming over during the day constantly through the day would be told by Dolly that he was a vagabond half-brother. But he's really just a guy who's over and half sex. Or like a shagabond. It's unclear at what point she needed his bone on tap. But before 1918, she had already Again, arranged... Again, not to be too graphic. Not to be too graphic, of course. But before 1918, she had already arranged for him to live in her attic as her sex slave. Oh, my God. He oh, quit, my God. Okay. He quit I his see job. why you told us that at the beginning. He wow. quit his job and cut himself off from everyone as he became her what Batman. burger. You know, I'm reading this story, and she's like, she's a seductress, and he's a 17-year-old. And I looked it up, and it reminds me of that line from Oh, Hello, where they're going through the decades, and they talk about the Berlin Wall falling, and he's like, people in red coats hugging people people in gray coats everyone ugly <laughs> i looked up ev- like oh my god everyone in the story is yeah. ugly they're so like 1920 you can't wear a silk robe and be ugly you're telling me that a door-to-door vagabond sewing machine salesman is ugly and a lonely housewife of a apron manufacturer <laughs> at night he would read mystery novels and write his own pulp stories by candlelight and by day he would keep dolly satisfied as well as helping her clean up the residence and make bathtub gin okay. all right quite a job description <laughs> What's your resume? Allow me to show you. Uh, in 1918, <laughs> why tell when I can stoop? In 1918, Fred Osterreich was growing more successful, and sure, he thought a move to the West Coast would only make it all better. So he planned to come to Los Angeles. Oh, I guess it's time for Dolly to choose between remaining in her loveless marriage in beautiful Angel City or remaining in Milwaukee with her lover boy toy. Not necessarily. There's a third option. So the Osterreichs moved to 858. They like strap him to the roof of the car, and he didn't notice. So the Osterreichs moved to Echo Park, and tailing them was Dolly's lover Otto Sandhuber. He like arrived earlier and he stood on the first street bridge at night and just waiting for their train to come how creepy is that that is creepy creepy. he again wait a minute was he dancing just like a skeleton then I hate to say it to you, dude. I know that you have nightmares about this I know that, thing. I know that you're suffering from kidney stones right now, and the doctor told you it was caused by fright but from I, Halloween. But You asked, and I have to tell you. So they take up a new residence, and then Otto takes up a subreddit residence in the new home's he attic. He took up a subreddit on... <laughs> and it was biz as usual. Wait, so like what? One day when, when the husband went to work, they're just like, all right, come and come in, and he, he went into the attic. Yeah, she set up an attic space for him slowly while the uh, husband was at work, and then one day he just slipped in. But, but like, how did he not hear? something it, that's what i wonder too he, well okay it would have had to been at night yeah exhausted from humping all day no yeah that's what <laughs> ada was asking goop. too was like he must have heard something but if yeah. he did he never told any well, friends or workers about it and also like that's what's scary though because like at night i will hear noises in yeah. the attic or what sounds like coming from the attic and it maybe it's a rat maybe it's, uh, maybe it's two possums fighting but it's just like you know the building other yeah. other things are happening so i guess you could brush it off of yeah like, you could brush you know, it off yeah. also every, every, every single night raccoons raccoons <laughs> raccoons, <laughs> raccoons every time you just have a record playing really loud. It's the only way I can sleep. And it's a record of raccoon noises. <laughs> just eating trash. Otto was managing to sell his stories and get some money that way. He bought a typewriter, which typewriters of the 20s must have been like foot stomping. It must have been so loud. <laughs> he walked in to... Um, the raccoon, really. <laughs> the raccoon's working on his memoir. I left the book up there. He learned how to read his writing. And it's like those monkeys that type Shakespeare, <laughs> but it's the raccoon. I bought him a typewriter. And he also survived on the nickels and dimes his Dom Dolly would toss his way so he's like he lives on so little and he's so okay with it and it's so weird hey 
a writer's life. <laughs> we get back to August 22nd, 1922. The Osterreichs come home raging, already having been fighting on their way home. The fight intensifies, and Otto is in the attic, and he's worried for Dolly. So he comes out carrying two 25 caliber pistols, which are the small little guns. I thought that they were like, in my head, I saw 45 Magnums, yeah. and then I looked at <laughs> like, this is like a piece. He, yeah, he walks out of there like Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Bing, 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 bing. It's um, like a cap gun. Uh, it won't even knock over like the pinballs at the carnival. That's how small the gun is. And he is ready to. He comes down, guns, guns blazing, ready to protect Dolly. <laughs> guns plinking. Yeah, but Dolly wasn't the one who needed protecting. After Otto came out from his hiding place, because not only was there a man in Fred's house, but he knew him. He recognized Otto. You worked hmm. for me, and you're yeah. here in another state, coming out of a part uh, of my house. You're obvious. Like it was. Yeah. Which part is most surprising? Yeah. What, what should I grapple with first? <laughs> what do you want me to apologize for? It's at least half clear what's going on. Not that yeah. he's living living in the attic but then yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so fred sees him he flies into a rage and auto fires at him and kills him uh, it's unclear who took the watch really but he locked ollie in the closet after to stage a burglary and returned to the attic the police are suspicious but they could never conceive of a, a killer living in the right. attic so the reason they took the watch was just so like stage it, it'll look like a robbery. yeah it'll look like a robbery okay. which was half-hearted i mean they had a minute because the neighbors <laughs> called after the gunshots and the screaming so they're like but something they had to go through the whole phone tree of that day which took like four hours <laughs> murray hill's calling <laughs> sarah get the police here Hang on, I'm talking about my banana split with my bow. You won't believe what Albert had for lunch again. <laughs> so after this, Otto flees California till the heat dies down. And around this time is when Dolly starts with Herman Shapiro. And Otto, I guess, is unaware of Herman. Or maybe the two, he eventually learns by Herman and is okay with it. Because when she moves, she lets Otto know and he moves in with her again. So kink restored. It's 1923, a year after the crime. Or like nine months after the crime. So let's get to the unraveling. Dolly, now with Otto back in the attic and Shapiro at work in the courtroom, takes up with a new man roy h clum she asked clum for a favor the same Whoa. favor she asked a neighbor who she trusted they were both given one 25 caliber gun to bury the neighbor had to bury it in the yard because dolly said it looks suspiciously like the gun that killed her husband and she was scared the cops would suspect her for it she told so clum to bury same it in a shallow grave near the scene of the crime exactly <laughs> can you just bury it in his in his rib cage <laughs> look like he swallowed it so she told the neighbor bury this in the yard she told clum the same thing and if you could throw it in the labrea tar pits <laughs> by the way listen to the episode of uh, the criminal podcast deep dive about an investigator who had to sink into the pits to find the evidence not for this case for another case in like 2013 but jesus christ <laughs> he describes what it's like to sink into the tarp it's terrifying i can empathize with that elephant now <laughs> why does this sound so familiar we haven't done this story before have we no we haven't i feel like this is a scenario we envisioned yeah maybe we it's like a Wasn't this an intro oh our sex slave intro god the episode about sex slaves they wouldn't need a deep diver for this case though because when he threw the gun it landed on the side of the tar pit not uh in the pit she doesn't know this this is how i thought this was gonna go yeah it's on the side and he's like i gotta get it in and he tries to push it in and he falls he into falls the into the thing and he is like the mammoth but nobody's there on the other side yeah. to warn him his babies aren't there crying yeah. for him so she doesn't know that he threw it on the side of the pit and if she did maybe she'd think twice about breaking up with clum because mm. he immediately went to police about the gun which of course they easily found she was quickly arrested and after the headline hits the neighbor who hid the gun for dolly went to the cops about what Dolly told her to do. So now she's locked up and you know you know how when you're heading home and you get a flat tire and you're like, oh no, I can be here forever and AAA comes and you ask them if they can call the cops to go to your house and feed your dog? <laughs> well, a similar thing happened here, except for feeding a dog, it's letting your sex slave know yeah. that he should probably take the day off, not take that Viagra and don't wait up for me. Take a cold shower. Take today. a cold shower and cool off because <laughs> it's going to be a while. Stop looking at those cheesecake photos that are <laughs> the only thing you have up there. Cheesecake drawing. So Herman Shapiro, her lover, comes to consult her in the attorney's room of the lockup and she took him to a quiet corner and asked Shapiro if she can go buy groceries for the Batman 
and tap on the bedroom closet to let him know that he should come out. She told Shapiro the same lie she told neighbors in Milwaukee. I have a vagabond half-brother who's been uh-huh. to- totally harmless living in the attic. Here's Shapiro's accounts for the papers. Oh, my God. I went to the house, entered the bedroom, but in that tap, I whistled from sheer nervousness. The closet door was open. Suddenly, I saw an arm extend from the wall, <coughs> and a voice said, Hello, Herman. Don't be afraid of me, which is the exact time you should be afraid of something. When a mysterious limb emerges from the closet and says, Don't be afraid. Go ahead. Be afraid. And knows your name. Yeah. Herman says, I was stifled with fear. I looked, and I saw a head, and then I saw a man slide out of a hole in the shelf, a oh shelf that God. is ordinarily built to hold hats. The man spoke to me, assuring me of his friendship and inquiring about the condition of the house of Dolly. Oh. Hello, Herman. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to speak with you, Herman. I believe we have something in common. <laughs> We're sort of brothers, aren't we? We're sort of vagabond <laughs> brothers, are we not, Herman? Herman looks into the hole and sees a radio, a writing board attached to the roof, or the roof raftered by hinges to form a desk, a reading lamp, large buckets of water, <laughs> an electric foot warmer, canned goods, a small mattress, a large collection of books, and very few clothes. That makes sense. And a razor. <laughs> very few sexy clothes. Uh, hey, well, he's got everything he needs. How big was the space the whole i mean I the whole sounds really small but yeah like, what was the this? attic space i saw i think i saw a diagram online and it's like livable like it's a cramped living for sure but yeah. it's not like a tight closet space like it's an rent attic. control this is why rent we need control. rent control uh, he found that the hole was protected from the inside by laths and tar paper so if anyone should enter the attic through the regular opening they wouldn't discover his secret room they would look into a dark space and they would it would feel like you were looking at a dark wall and not a dark piece of paper okay. this also blocked out the reflection of the reading lamp so anybody from the outside if there's any openings it would so he like okay. perfectly sealed himself in. He'd been living in the Beechwood place for four months, but living in an attic as Dolly's sex slave for close to 10 years through oh five God. different residences, three in Milwaukee, two in LA, and across and starting, two states. Starting from a 17-year-old. from As a 17-year-old guy. And at this, this point- guy grow up to, like, what was he like after this? I don't- At this point, Otto was starved for attention. Now that he has Herman's ear, he was going to unload. Otto told Herman- That's was a actually, new part of the body for him to unload on. <laughs> done this before. Dolly hates it when I talk. The story Otto told Herman was that he had been an orphan who was adopted by a family in Milwaukee named San Hubber. He lived with his family all his life until that day in 1913 when he boned his boss's wife and started a new life as a Batman. There is some evidence that this isn't true and that in 1905... She was his Razal Ghoul. 1905 Wisconsin census, it lists him as a 17-year-old Wisconsin-born son of George San Hubber. The 1910 federal census lists him as born in Germany and the 1917 World War one draft card lists his birthplace as New York so who really knows this guy's backstory who knows the Batman either way he said after this point is when Dolly and Fred moved to Los Angeles he stands on the first state bridge he watches the train come in he talked about the murder of Fred that it was simple enough he feared for Dolly because he knew how Fred was and he was probably drunk so when he came at him Otto just killed him didn't think twice about it he went back into the attic after that to listen to Dolly be questioned Herman seemed to have pity on Otto and told him to scram beat it kid hit the streets and don't stop till you hit snow baby this is the 20s this is an exact quote from the papers, <laughs> from the papers. so Otto left and Dolly was released on bail. Her and her... Her and Herman moved in together. Her and her man. Yeah, her and her man. Like, after you found out that you had somebody attic, how do you live with this person? She had been doing it on your time, too. Not just, okay, whatever. Otto leaves. So he goes to Canada, and I think he lived in Oregon for a bit, but he comes back in 1926, and after, when he comes back, he tells Herman, you know, hey, I'm, I'm back, just be aware. And he wasn't back for Dolly, because now he was a married man. For a, place to looking live. for a small, cramped place to live. So he comes so he's back. he's married. He's married, yeah. Okay. He comes back, but not for Dolly, because now he's a married man. He wants to start a new life, and he wants his wife to know nothing about his previous life Apparently, our house no roof no roof no at roof all, at all. It's just, just to show how much i love you it's exposed i don't know about this i read this from herman's account so i don't know how accurate it is.
is, but apparently when Herman comes back into town, he made Otto rebuild the cedar closet at the Beechwood place at the request of Dolly. What? Dolly said, patch that hole up that you used to live in. And if that isn't a sexual ambush, if I've ever heard one, hey, I need him to come over for a bit and oh, fix a God. hole. Uh, now it's 1930. Seven years of a tumultuous relationship with Herman and Dolly. They finally call it quits. And at this point, Herman comes clean to the police about everything he knows which included an incident in 1928 when dolly and an unknown man attacked herman as he came out of his law offices and attempted to force him into a car i don't know what that's about what? but that was in a paper that herman was revealing everything so police rearrest dolly and charge her for conspiracy and they arrest Otto for the murder which his wife must have found out at that point that he was like a sex slave Ooh, i forgot to mention oh you didn't know why i had all this leather no, mask <laughs> this ball I, gag know, i never talked about my 20s <laughs> and this ball gag made of wood because it's the 1929 yeah. right made now out of a asbestos <laughs> it's nice up there there's asbestos to yeah. keep you warm as asbestos as you want and it's so tasty too <laughs> he gets arrested for murder he gets knocked down to manslaughter because he says that it was self-defense and because of statute of limitations at the time i didn't look it up but it's statute of limitations for manslaughter that's crazy but is it self-defense if you're protecting somebody else like he wasn't it, in danger she was in danger and yeah it's probably not self-defense you probably are defending someone's life though and then he felt like he was personally going to get killed too so he okay. yeah i guess yeah so. if you're stopping someone from killing somebody else Plus chances are they're probably going to try to kill you kill you too if you stand around and wait for them if you give a murderer a motive. enough time and a motivation as he's strangling somebody you don't like witnesses do you how do you feel about witnesses you wouldn't do that to me would you? so he was in charge with fred's murder dolly's conspiracy trial ended with her walking free after her attorney jerry geisler won her a hung jury dolly lived i'm to sure be that's her favorite kind to have a jury. Dolly lived to be 75 years old. She passed in 1961, being married to her second husband, Ray Burt Hendrick, who was 30 years old. Can she, like, not marry someone with a normal name? It's the 30s. There's no such thing. So in 1995, they made a movie titled The Man in the Attic, starring mm. Ann Archer and Neil Patrick Harris, which mm. was based wait, on wait, a wait, true what story. year was this? 1995, they made the movie. Oh, okay. I thought you said 1933, and Neil Patrick Harris was in it. He never ages. Doogie he looks Hauser. just as young as he was in Doogie Hauser. So I got most of this from an article from Cecilia Rasmussen. This is how she ends it. I I think it's a perfect way to end this too. The house where Fred Osterock was shot to death still stands at 858 Lafayette Park Place in Echo Park off at Bentway. It's been divided into six apartments, one of those being the attic. And that's huh. the story of the Batman of Echo Park. Yeah, you're right. It is creepy at the beginning. Yeah. It, it's just, I mean, it's creepy in a different it's, way. Yeah, it's creepy it's in a different way. It's upsetting. When I first read it, I was most struck by the creepiest factor was that a man emerged yeah, from the, yeah, out of nowhere that's a, to that's kill a, you. That's a big opening. <laughs> yeah, I went for it. So, so did he. Um, <laughs> let's go to my next one. This is a, it's, I, I I say it's brief it's like two pages but there's not really an ending to this it's a mystery it's a really good mystery okay. so there's nothing i can really say leading up to it that would without giving too much away so i'll just give you the vaguest teaser of what i'm about to talk about weird stuff <laughs> that's not a pun oh it Wait, like stuffing, like turkey? Something's weird. Is this the, the way Thanksgiving you said that. episode? So the date, August seventeenth, twenty ten. The location, the Glen Donald Building at twenty one twenty one James M Wood Boulevard near MacArthur Park, which is still the craziest street name in the city. It is a crazy street name, and it's really just like Ninth Street. There's James M Wood, and then Chevy Chase and Glendale, yeah, Bill Murray Every Road, <laughs> John Belushi Way. So that's the location. That's the date. The problem: their basement was filled with junk. This is what's going on. The basement of the building used to be used as a ballroom in its hay day but circa 2010 it was just a place all the tenants stored the crap they didn't have room in their apartments for but right. the owner needed it cleared out for insurance purposes so everyone was told they had until a certain date to move it all whatever was left the building manager gloria gomez could do whatever she wanted with them uh, which was great for gloria because she loved collecting antiques mm -hmm. and the only stuff left in there after everyone cleared it out was really 
really old from tenants who had moved out decades ago and just forgot to take their stuff with them. So she went down there with her friend Yiming Jing and down there were three old steamer trunks that looked like they were from the 20s or 30s. So that's pretty much all that was left down there. They broke into two of them with a screwdriver empty, but they cracked open the third one and they hit the jackpot. They hit the antique collector's jackpot. It was just a treasure trove of a bunch of old junk from the 30s that people like her would go nuts for. (laughs) They found some old pictures, a fox fur wrap, a flapper dress, a purse, a pearl necklace, an iron, a girdle, a cigar box, some postcards, so she must have been a Patreon subscriber, (laughs) a ticket stub from the closing ceremony of the 1932 Olympics. Wow. Los Angeles Olympics. A figurine of a toilet. Bibs. (laughs) Throw the rest out. (laughs) We found our nugget. So they were thrilled, but then they saw these two old doctor satchels in them, and Yiming picked one up saying, these are probably pretty valuable, but it felt heavy. It felt like there was something inside of these things. Do you know this story? No. So she opened one up and inside it was a, like crumbled up old LA Times from 1933. It had an article about the latest John Dillinger robbery, which is pretty cool. But then there was something else in there underneath these crumbled up newspapers. Something was wrapped up in silk fabric and she unraveled it and it looked like a clump of dry old wood. And then they looked a little closer and they realized this is something that used to be alive. They thought maybe it was a dead animal and they were going to bury it and then it hit them this is a mummified fetus. Oh my God. Yeah. They found a mummified fetus inside this thing. They were freaked out. And the second satchel had yet to be opened. And there was <sighs> clearly something inside that one yeah. also. So they called 911, which seems a little too late to call 911. Yeah, you should probably call another number. <laughs> maybe the non-emergency line. Yeah. Maybe bummy pickup. I don't know. So when police got there, they opened up the second satchel, which was filled again with a crumbled up LA Times. This one's from 1935. And under that was another something wrapped in silk. This time it was was a full-on mummified baby with hair and everything. Oh my God. So this is a story of two mummy babies that were found in the basement of the Glen Donald building. So again, what the hell happened here? Yeah. This took all the detectiving tricks in the books to try to get a thread on whose bag this was and whose babies these were because all they had to go off was a picture of a woman in a boa standing next to a car in front of a, a mountain that was clearly in Southern California yeah. and she had a generic name, Jean M. Barry. But this is where it took a weird detour. Jean you know those mummies you're looking for? Well, well, dust. yeah. Well, listen to this. It's the police detective. So, okay, so this is where it gets weird again. It continues to be weird. It continues its already established <laughs> level of weirdness because there were things in the trunk with the initials J M B on it, which could have meant Jean M Barry, but also those are the initials of the author of Peter Pan, J M Barry. Oh, it seems oh. it seems like a leap, but there was also a copy of Peter Pan in there and a membership card to the Peter Pan Woodland Club Resort in Big Bear. So for a little bit, the LAPD was investigating whether or not J.M. Barry, the author of Peter Pan, who had been dead for 70 years, might have come to LA and stuffed a couple of dead babies into a trunk in MacArthur Park and left. As symbolism for children who don't grow up, which is what Peter Pan's about. I didn't even think of that. That is upsetting. Yeah, well, I'm think- I think of myself as like a regular investigator, you know, I just like think outside the box. I know. I took heard- a- You've heard of boxes, right? <laughs> I have, I think, outside of them. I'm taking a class on junior investigating and also (laughs) metaphors and screenwriting. So uh, apparently it got to the point where they wanted to exhume the corpse of J.M. Barry and get DNA samples. But the investigation soon shifted. They're like, this is, what are we thinking? This is crazy. This can't be real. (laughs) We have to arrest Shakespeare today. (laughs) It couldn't have been J.M. Barry. (laughs) J.M. Barry would never do that. Where's Plato's grave? They shifted towards a few women who had actually been in L.A. around that time that were named Gina. 
and Barry. Fair. But again, there was one lady who had lived in San Francisco around the 1930s, one who had lived in South Africa as well. There was also a kind of well-known vaudeville performer named Jean M. Barry, who actually was a relative of J.M. Barry, but the lady they landed on was actually named Janet Man Barry, who used Jean as a nickname. Okay. And I, I haven't watched enough CSI to understand how they settled on her, but yeah. she seemed to be the right person. Okay. This J.M. Barry was born January 15th, 1897 in Blantyre, Scotland. Her dad was a coal miner. Her mom was a mom. <laughs> she had 12 siblings. At age 14, the family moved to Diamond City, Alberta, Canada, because her dad once saw an advertisement that said that the streets of Canada were paved with gold. And wouldn't you know it, they were right. Don't tell America. When <laughs> well, it, the streets are paved with free health care. They're paved with morphine. When it was time for her to choose a life for herself, she decided she wanted to become a nurse. So she went to, for that all that free health care, she went to school in Winnipeg, where the streets are paved with hospital gowns. <laughs> and after getting certified, she spent some time in Chicago and then came down to LA sometime in the 1920s. So in 1929, she lived in an apartment near MacArthur Park, not the Glen Donald though, with a woman okay. named Ada oh. LaRosse. Suspicious. I Hmm. Hmm. Where was Ada in 2010? Where was Ada in 1929? I'd really (laughs) like to know. But aside from being a nurse, she was also just an independent woman about town. Hmm. Sounds like Ada. She drove a Dodge Roadster. Sounds like Ada. She was a card-carrying member of the Ebel Club, and she liked going to horse races a lot. That was her thing. But at some point in the 30s, she got a new client, Mary Downs Knapp. Again, that also sounds like a sentence. Those are all three verbs, too. She was a very sick woman, so J.M. Barry was hired to be her personal nurse by her dentist of a husband, George Guy Knapp. Unfortunately, around 1940, Barry had to briefly move back to Diamond City, which, why isn't it paved with diamonds? I don't get it. But, <laughs> but, misleading. but then came back to LA in 1941 with George Knapp as her sponsor because he trusted her as his wife's nurse. So much so that around 1948, he bought three units in the Glen Donald building using two for he and his wife and one for J.M. Barry. It was kind oh. of a Batman situation where J.M. Barry would live there, but one became two because J.M. Barry and George Knapp, who was 20 years older than her, started having an affair that lasted, oh, 16 years while his wife slowly died and she was his wife's nurse. Wow, he pulled a Dr. Seuss. Yep. An affair, an affair, I will have with hair, hair, hair. The reason the affair ended was because in 1964, Mary died of breast cancer, and now George and Janet were free to end their affair and immediately got married. But like I said, he was 20 years older than her, so he was dead just four years later. She stuck around in that building until 1985 when she moved back to Vancouver, Canada, where the streets are paved with filming locations from the X-Files until she died in 1994 during hernia surgery. So this is all we we know about Janet and Barry's life. None of this explains why she had two dead babies in her steamer trunk. They didn't even know whether or not they were her babies. Were they babies she murdered? Were they illegal abortions? Were they medical cadavers that she kept for some reason? But back in 2010, the LAPD got a DNA sample from her niece in Alberta, which proved that, yes, these were her babies. Both were female, but there was no sign that they had been murdered, but also no sign that it was an abortion. They just died. But her family didn't know of her ever having any kids or that she was ever pregnant. And yet here were two of her children with no hospital record of them ever being born. So they also didn't know who the father was because they couldn't find any blood relatives of George Knapp to get DNA from. But she clearly cared for these kids because the silk that they were wrapped in was clean with none of the horror stains that go along with a dead body. There was no murder, but just like if you wrap a decaying body in something, it's going to get dirty. But these were clean, which means that she was regular 
regularly rewrapping the oh, bodies geez. to keep them clean. So again, what the hell yeah. happened here? Were they children of her affair with George that had died young? Were uh-huh. they children of another affair? Either way, how did they die? And more importantly, why did she keep them? Yeah. There just isn't enough evidence left behind to explain why this happened. And the LAPD closed the case because there was no evidence of murder again. So this one ends on a mystery that will never ever be solved. But one last part of the story, which is maybe even weirder. When she died, she was cremated and put into the same urn with the ashes of George Knapp and his first wife, who he was cheating on her You're with. You're kidding. So they're over at Forest Lawn Glendale near Clark Gable's grave if you want to go ogle at this weird eternity thruple. There's no answers here, but... That's upsetting. It's very... I Like, what? Why what? would she yeah, do what? that? <laughs> what? 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 Like, what? I can't imagine what she happened. There were some people, like, I think she might have had dementia, maybe. Oh. I don't know, but, like, why? No explanation. Very weird. That's now, what have, what have you got? Something similar, but uh, huh. this one's full of answers, though, so you'll be a little <laughs> happy. This is a story that some might remember from my favorite murder. It was quite memorable, and I almost didn't do that because of it, but Ada talked so me into it. you're encroaching on their territory that they encroach on us. From. Exactly. You figured it out. Mm-hmm. Ada talked me into it because you don't listen to my favorite murder, so you don't Mm-mm. know this story. Yeah. And, and no one else, people, none of our listeners do either. Yeah, we, uh, we, we pulled them, them before they <laughs> become uh, listeners. Or people who just want to hear our take on it. You, they want to hear two comedians' take on it. Not they want to hear a more unpaid take on it. Yeah, they wanted something that wasn't as sponsored <laughs> and uh, clearly hungry for attention. I'm not going to get scary until like page two. I'm okay. just going to lead into it. All right, that's when the skeletons show up. Yeah, let's talk about the Long Beach Pike Pier. Okay. If you remember at the turn of the century, Abbott Kinney was already building amusement piers in Venice Beach. Long Beach, our south side sister, similarly had seaside amusement. That was a, why did I write that? <laughs> our south side sister similarly had seaside amusement. This is part of our warm up before our vocal well, warm up. Right. Um, our seaside sister slipped silently <laughs> through the sunlit seals. They also had amusement piers and amusement like amusements. Yeah. <laughs> amusement amusements. Amusement amusements. <laughs> thanks to a man named Charles Drake. So by 1902, they had a bathhouse, a cafe, a bowling alley, and a 60 by 120 foot concrete pool that became known as the Plunge, which always sounds great. All this at the end of the red line car. Which is a great name for something dangling off of the end of a pier. <laughs> Five years later, they introduced a ballroom, a movie theater, roller coaster rides, rides like the Jackrabbit, which later became the iconic Cyclone Racer, and an auditorium. Uh, this is like through the years. They also had something called Bisbee's Spiral Airship, which looks really cool. It looks like a, uh, I guess like you're in a little dangling box, and you go, you ascend this tower, like, this, and then you just spin around the tower, like spiral down it. It's like old-timey, but it looks exciting. Hmm. I can't even picture that. Like a gumball machine? A little bit like a gumball machine, yeah. <laughs> That's probably a better way to describe it. I'll send you a picture, and you'll be like, oh, a gumball machine. Oh, nice gumball machine. By 1910, Charles Loof would put the Hippodrome and Santa mm. Monica Pier to the same thing for Long Beach. So Long Beach had a really dreamy oceanside pleasure pier, and it got nicknamed the Walk of a Thousand Lights, but <laughs> soon, for I don't know what reason, it got called the Pike. For some reason, Pike is a very nautical term, and I don't know why. I don't know why either. Maybe you like stab a tuna or something with a pike? I guess so. It's got to be that. It's why are we even questioning it? <laughs> I mean, my guess, that has to be fact. <laughs> my guess, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. I got a lot of info from a, a blog titled Atomic Redhead, and they stated hmm. that lurking in the shadows of the pike pretty much from like the 20s on were like peep shows and gambling places and prostitution. Mm-hmm. The dirty so, parts. Yeah. The dirty bits. Solidifying its existence as a oceanside pier. As right. we all know, all oceanside yeah. piers are a little bit like you that. You can't have an oceanside pier without a peep show. Yeah, exactly. Like every pier that didn't completely burn down, the piers were seedy, but as the decades went on, the seediness outgrew the family friendliness and it fell into disrepair. And so the only thing there was was seediness. And then like everything else, it's just the 70s and yeah. everything's just... And that's how Long Beach started. So let's take a look at one ride in particular. Okay. The Laugh in the Dark, which was like the Funhouse scary that, ride. Speaking of the Batman, isn't that the name of like a storyline of the Batman? It might be. I think it's Laughter in the Dark. So the Laugh in the Dark was a Funhouse scary ride to the dark and you know everything was like day glow painted and like there's a big mm-hmm. ape and it pops out and like it's, a, it a smells spook- like a, f- a spookorama. A spookorama, yeah, yeah. It smells like fog machine 
machine right. fog and it, it's yeah. little perfection. So the year is 1976, December at the Long Beach Pike Pier, three years before it would eventually shut down for good. A TV crew arrives at Laugh in the Dark Ride to get ready to film an episode of the $6 million man titled Carnival of Spies. The crew was Also setting- a good name for the ride. It is very good, yeah. The crew was setting up and there was an area that was done up to look like the gallows with like day glow red painted dummies as props. And a crew member knocked into one of the dummies and a dummy's arm fell off. Mm-hmm. And the crew member picked up the arm and got the glue ready to fix the arm back onto the dummy. And that's mm-hmm. when he noticed bones and joints. Mm-hmm. This is alarming. And did the only thing he could think of doing, he called a $6 million man to solve the mystery. <laughs> no. <laughs> we can rebuild him. <laughs> we have the technology. <laughs> they called the LA County Medical Examiner to come down to Long Beach Pike Pier. And there was confirmed this was no dummy. It was a mummy. <laughs> This is the mummy of the Long Beach Pier. We called the uh, mortician who had just gotten back from Dr. Seuss's house. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm peaked. I'm piked I'm about piked. the peak. I'm piked. Wait, so who the hell what? is the mummy of the Pike Pier? It was up to the senior deputy medical examiner. Well, okay, wait. Let me just get a feel for what this hanging thing. So it was a prop. They brought it. It was as a prop. No, no, no. It was it was a prop that already had been there at the fun house. Oh, okay. It was in so the it was background. The fun house. So did it look? What did it look like? I have pictures if you want to see. Oh, I have to send them to you. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, I'll look later and okay. I'll insert my reaction. I've seen black Ooh. and white photos. It looks like if I saw it, I'd think that's a dead body. Like okay. that's an old dead body. Because yeah. I'm, I'm imagining upsetting. like a scarecrow almost. Kind of. But like that, you're giving it a lot. It not was right. not dressed up at all. It was painted red. It was like nude, but Ew. painted. Ew. So it was just like a silhouette. They, they okay. wanted just a silhouette. So it was in the just kind of like uh, we know that figure, that fine figure that a mummy cuts. It's like that sort yeah, of uh, like not, an arrowhead almost. It just looks like a corpse. If you're thinking mummy wrapped up in an yeah, Egyptian thinking, tomb, you're thinking the wrong thing. I'm thinking of a mummified of King Tut. cadaver. Okay. So it's up to the senior deputy medical examiner, Joseph Choi, and the chief medical examiner, Thomas Nagochi, to find out. So based on the Y-shaped incision on the mummy's chest, they could see that it had a, once had a very simple autopsy. Pathologists were able to determine that this was a male Caucasian between 30 to 40 years old. He had been embalmed, and the fluid had petrified the organs and kept them in the normal anatomical positions. They found a bullet wound on the chest, but no bullet was found. From the wound, though, they could see that the ballistics from the bullet jacket was from a like 20 to 32 caliber projectile that had ripped through his sixth right rib the right lung the diaphragm the liver and the intestines okay this is gross don't talk about intestines when i have kidney stones but you're just aggravating it <laughs> it's a completely sure. different thing but please don't talk about it you're gonna summon it and they kept in did he have kidney stones that's all i want well, that's probably how he died and how kidneys were stones at and this then point. once his family found out they didn't want him anymore and they want to bury him because they found out what a loser had kidney yeah, he was stones. dated yeah. no one wants a son with kidney stones <laughs> so they kept investigating this dead guy like he was a treasure chest found in the museum basement. They looked into the bullet tracings. The bullet jacket was half copper and introduced in 1905 and discontinued before World War II. <laughs> so he's old. The embalming fluid was involved. How in- old is he? <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. We're trying to figure we it out. Give us a couple days. results yet. The embalming fluid which involves arsenic had fallen out of favor in the early 20th century. So they're narrowing down exactly yeah, where this corpse. Frame. Yeah. So they kept digging in this guy. Like they dig in this guy and they found. God. Death is humiliating. Go on. Just burn me. Just please burn me. Burn me and put them in the ashes with the lady I was having an affair with and her husband. Just all those people. Everybody that I ever said hello to just all end up in the same urn. A little bit in each one. So they're digging through him and they find a 1924 penny. What? And some ticket stubs stuffed down his throat. What? There was only one legible ticket stub and it read, Lewis Sonny's Museum of Crime, 521 South Main Street, Los Angeles, a block away from, of course, the Cecil Hotel. It had been closed for years, but Long Beach PD got into contact 
contact with the son of the owner who had died, and his son's name was Dan Sonny. So the son is alive, the dad who ran okay. this museum is dead. So here it is. His father, Louis Sonny, was very interested in crimes. He was a real murderino, if you will, after he spotted What does that him. mean? What does that mean? Is that Italian? Is that some sort of pasta dish? It sounds delicious. Can I order it to go? <laughs> I'll have two things. Thanks. <laughs> so Louis Sonny, he spotted and apprehended a bank robber named Roy Gardner. I don't know at what point in his life, but he did that in his real life. And with that, he got a $5,000 reward for his capture. And Sonny went on to make a silent film with the humble and very subtle title, I Captured Roy Gardner. He took this movie <laughs> me, on a... comma, me. Me, parentheses, <laughs> me. Louis Sonny. So he takes this movie on a tour around the country, and as he toured, he found himself collecting a number of sideshow-type curiosities, mostly wax figures of outlaws like Billy the Kid and Jesse James. This collection became the Museum of Crime, which he toured, and in 1922, Sonny accepted this corpse as collateral. Uh, hang for on, are you describing the movie House of Wax? Oh, that's why I keep talking about Vincent Price. Oh, I figured it out. I, it. I was wondering why the articles I was reading had a weird vocal affectation. He's kind of like a grandpa, but like a spooky grandpa. That was the voice I was getting from. <laughs> but also this. a little sexy. A little on the fence about sexuality. You don't yeah, really it could know go either way. Doesn't yeah. matter. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so this mummy fell into Sonny's lap as collateral for a $500 loan in 1922. Well, Sonny needed a new mummy. Okay, so he oh, knew it was a mummy, though. He knows he, it's a mummy? He knew it wasn't a wax figure. <laughs> he accepted it as a corpse. So when the borrower defaulted, Sonny found himself stuck with this corpse. So what did he do? He made the corpse part of the crime museum. Okay. So this asks the question, who the F word is the yeah. corpse? So let's get to that. Dan Sonny was able to reveal its identity as Oklahoma outlaw Elmer McCurdy. Okay, weird name. But also, why did they stuff a ticket stub down his mouth? I have no idea. We gotta, you, even you need admission. Exactly. Even he pays watch i think that it was just like unsupervised people walking around a wax museum uh, right, they're like right, right. trash yeah can. like at the like when you leave lacma and you have the sticker and you put and it you on put the it wall. on the wall exactly that was their equivalent of that since there was nothing sticky at the it time. was a proud tradition put your <laughs> ticket stub in this dead man's mouth mccurdy was a expert safecracker and a murderer who had shot and killed a man in colorado at the turn of the century if he was born in maine in 1880 the same year as dolly osterock oh really yeah hmm. and at the age of 23 moved to kansas where he failed at being a legitimate member of society. He was a plumber and worked in the mines before enlisting in the army and once he gets back pretty quickly turns into a life of crime. He was not great at that either. He'd been getting charged but acquitted of burglary in Missouri in 1910. He and his crew which included an outlaw named Walter Jarrett tried to rob trains and they were not good at it. <laughs> usually only getting Wait up. <laughs> they usually only got hundreds of dollars when the loot could have been like tens of thousands of dollars. That's like not how yeah, not they, good they were. They robbed the transporting the contents of a bank's vault yeah. but they didn't go into that car and they just robbed the they robbed ladies. like all the silverware from the cart, ne- the lunch cart next to it. <laughs> it's funny when I think about like the big outlaws, you know, like Billy the Kid, and mm-hmm. whatever. And you're like, well, how did they get so notorious? They probably killed a lot of people, but like, you know, Butch Cassidy and the Wild Bunch and all those were probably really good at what they were doing. Yeah, they weren't nobody. Yeah, they people admired them a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, him and his crew were notorious along the Kansas border. He'd served time in Oklahoma Territorial Penitentiary and escaped from that in 1911. After that, he led an attack on the Missouri Pacific train near Coffeyville, Kansas. So in October. October of 1911, he held up a train thinking there would be thousands of dollars in Native American tribal payments. What they found was $46. So they stole whiskey crates to compensate because that's what we were going to buy with the thousands of dollars anyways. What an insult. The Native Americans have to pay the government this money that they shouldn't have to pay. And then someone robs, robs that payment before it can get to the government. Yeah, this is most of the story of a bug's life. Um, <laughs> after this heist, like immediately after the hunt is on for them. Uh, Who's the, Thumper? Wait, is the, isn't there a Thumper? Or is that from Bambi? That's Bambi. You're thinking there, of the 
there's like a grasshopper who like thumps his tail. He's pretty no, well like there's Richard a kind. caterpillar that's really big if you're thinking of that. Richard Kind's in it, right? Richard Kind is in it. Okay, um, that's a win for me. James Wood is also in it, which is <laughs> a lose for me, but he has one of is the best Chevy lines. Is Chevy Chase in it? If I didn't promise Mother on her deathbed that I wouldn't kill you, I would kill you. <laughs> it's one of my favorite lines. Richard Kind is in it, isn't he? He is. I forgot what I was talking about. Okay, so they rob this train. They get forty six dollars. They steal a bunch right. of whiskey, and they're on the run from the the police now. The police. Um, Is that even a crime if it's forty six dollars? No, just take. Okay, whatever. Just let them go. So the gang splits up, and two days later, McCurdy found himself hiding in a ranch in the Osage Hills, getting loaded with field hands and thinking he got away scot free. <laughs> he did not. He woke up to the sound of sheriff deputies surrounding the barn, and McCurdy thought they're going to have to take me dead or alive. <laughs> so the deputies chose dead. You know what the punishment for us is, don't you? <laughs> Mummification. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to laugh at your corpse for decades to come. You're going to the crime museum, buddy. <laughs> so McCurdy came out guns blazing and they shot and killed him. Sorry, Charlie. So how does this dead outlaw in Oklahoma wind up in the $6 million band 60 years later? <laughs> so the deputies killed him. They have Al McCurdy's body in custody, but he's dead. So they take him to the Johnson Funeral Home in Pahuxa, Oklahoma, and there he sat for four years, unclaimed, collecting dust. Nobody wanted to claim his no. body. So in 1916, two people claiming to be the relative of McCurdy's... Why don't they just get... Like, there should be a... Like at work, we have a lost and found that lasts for like six months. Yeah, just toss mortuary. It in. Same policy. So two people claiming to be relatives of McCurdy's from California had the body shipped out west. I doubt they were because from this point, his corpse becomes a sideshow attraction, touring nearly every city in the South and the West. This is what he would have wanted. I just want to travel. I just want to see the West. No matter how. I just want to see In and Out one time in my life. <laughs> I wasn't able to confirm, but it looks like this traveling attraction are the people who borrowed money from Lewis Sonny and left McCurdy's corpse as collateral. So travel with Lewis Sonny until. 1949 when Lewis died. His son then put all his dad's museum exhibits in storage for like 20 years until 1971 when he sold his dad's exhibits to the Hollywood Wax Museum. One of the pieces from Sonny's exhibitions that did not get purchased from the Hollywood Wax Museum was a 60-year-old cadaver of Elmer McCurdy. Ask me why. Because it was not lifelike. Oh God. So they passed on it. Real classic. So then the corpse was bought by the Long Beach Pike Pier for the Laugh in the Dark Funhouse where it sat for five years before his arm was knocked off <laughs> and got this whole investigation going. I mean, he was like a murdering criminal, That's so what I don't I kept feel that to tell bad, myself. but like, come on. Even the murderous outlaw, Al McCurdy, had paid his debt to society by having his nude corpse on display this long. His <laughs> remains... Were, it was painted red also. It was also painted red. His remains were shipped to Oklahoma, where forensic anthropologists were able to confirm 100% that this was Almer McCurdy using old photographs and mug shots. And it's scary because the book... <laughs> looks just like... Looks, yeah. The book that I have, that I found the story in, has like a mug shot from him. It might be actually like the death photo like after he was mm -hmm. killed and a picture of what they found in the 70s and it's i don't want to say heartbreaking it's a little bit heartbreaking but you can see how these th this was him yeah it's upsetting to me well, how can it be heartbreaking when his heart was removed 60 years 60 earlier years ago he was formally buried in april of 1977 at the summit view cemetery in guthrie oklahoma buried alongside his peers outlaws and politicians <laughs> and that's the story of alan mccready and the mummy Weird. of the long beach pier i can't even like the sound of a mummy's arm falling oh off. yeah the picking up the arm and like, yeah. a little heavy <laughs> there's a stuff with and there's seen like bone and joints and like I inhaled some of it good thing it's just asbestos God. Oh, no. uh, yeah that's gross it's that's upsetting so weird the, every fun house you go to might have an actual dead body so Keep watch that out mind. they never found Blue the kid's corpse <laughs> did he I don't know but looking at the Long Beach Pike Pier of the first half of the 20th century it might now be my favorite of the old piers that aren't here anymore because it, it looks so cool <laughs> the lettering for everything is fantastic the rides seem really cool and it's Long Beach it's not snooty uh, I'm, West Coast it's, it's not the West Monica. Side I'm sure that wasn't the only corpse 
floating around oh, the pike yeah. at, around that time. So let's get to the last one. Do it, buddy. It's our last one for the for the night. Uh, you it's know, like, it's so dark it's out. Like noon. <laughs> it feels like it's midnight, and yeah. I, I haven't had lunch yet. <laughs> so ring a ding ding. It's time for a curse that ends in a hearse. <laughs> we already covered the life and death of Rudolph Valentino. We're, we're dipping back to some things from the past, aren't yeah. we? Maybe this was just our very first creepy Christmas. Was Rudolph Valentino? Rudolph Valentino's the, the woman in black. Yeah. So we talked about him the very first one. So just as a refresher, Rudolph Valentino. He was an Italian guy who played characters from every other race than Italian. In the early days of Hollywood, it became one of the first real movie stars. He was the first non-white crush for white women. He was white. But he played like uh, yeah, yeah, the, the right, chic yeah, and stuff. Right. And people were like, oh my God. This guy is so, from such a different country. Tall, dark, handsome, and accented. Tall, dark, and handsome, but my parents won't object. <laughs> His big things were the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, right. which I pretty I remember making a joke about that uh, yeah. eight years ago. <laughs> Blood and Sand, and of course, The Sheik. The sheik. He was a massive heartthrob whose early death drove fans out of their minds with grief. Listen back to that one if you want to hear more Women about Women in him. Italy killing themselves, I think. Something like that. Kind of. <laughs> uh, they oh, had a lot of reasons. A dramatic Italian woman? <laughs> Never. But behind that narrative that we already discovered yeah. of unthinkable fame that met a tragic end early may have been a piece of jewelry that was responsible for it. A cursed ring, perhaps? Who knows? At the height of his fame, Rudy, as I'm going to call him. Yeah. Rudy! Rudy V? Was in San Francisco filming a movie and passed by an antique store. Again, beat for beat, this is our intro. He passed by an antique store and something inside of it caught his eye. A ring. It was a silver ring with a type of quartz crystal set in it known as a tiger's eye because of the way the light reflects off of it. It looks like a tiger's eyeball. Okay. In a mystical sense, this type of stone is supposed to grant you stability and insight and the name of this particular ring was the Ring of Destiny. Oh man, that's a big deal. And it could all be his for the price that only the biggest movie star in the world could afford. $7. Back then? Break the bank. He could buy San Francisco for that (laughs) price. That's how much he got paid to be in the chic. But the shopkeeper didn't want to sell it to him because he told him that this ring was cursed. Every previous owner of this ring met with bad luck, but Rudy said, to hell with curses. I only believe in the mystical things that work out in my favor and nothing bad will ever happen to me. So he bought the ring. Oh boy. And boy, did he look gaudy in that thing. I mean, it's a $7 quartz crystal ring. It's yeah. like, you know, it's just a tacky sort of thing. He seemed to wear it all the time. There's even a painting by Federico Beltran Massis of Rudy and his girlfriend, Pola Negri, where she's actually wearing the ring in in this portrait of really? the two of them. I'm really impressed that we haven't, through the intro and through this, although there's still time, we haven't talked a lot about Lord of the Rings. There's still time. There's still time. Don't uh, worry. I pray to never talk about it. Go ahead. Who are you? Bilbo? <laughs> It wasn't all oil portraits. Oil portraits. Oil Oil portraits. We watched The Sunshine Boys with Walter Matthau and George Burns. Yeah, and oh boy. now I... Oil portraits on Toys <laughs> Day. It wasn't all oil portraits and tacky accessories. Supposedly, Rudy showed the ring to a friend of his not long after he bought it. And inside the gem of the ring, the friend saw a vision of Rudy dying a premature death. But again... Do you tell him on the spot or do you tell other people? <laughs> what do you think of this? Do you want my honest opinion? Yeah, honest opinion. I'm, I see you dying in I don't mean to be too forward, yeah, but that I you're foresaw your death in the piece of jewelry you bought from Antique Store. So, what are we going to get for so, brunch? What's brunch? So We're splitting y- this, Bill? So, you like it. <laughs> but again, he's Rudolph Valentino, and nobody's going to tell him how to get lucky. He knows how to get lucky. <laughs> so, he kept on wearing the ring, and he even used it as part of his costume on his next movie, The Young Raja. Again, he's that non white boy. Oh, who is he? Which became The Young Raja, the first flop of his career. <laughs> not only that, it was the only flop of his career. Not only, not only that, it was so big of a flop, all the footage of it was lost until the year. 
2005. Oh my god. And even then only parts of it were found. And it still flopped. Even We've been waiting for this movie for 80 <laughs> years. Here it is. <laughs> it has negative views on YouTube. <laughs> it took his career two years to recover from this before he was even allowed to be in another movie. Rudolph Valentino of The Sheik. Biggest, the movie, biggest star, movie star. And he makes this movie and he's out of movies for two years. Oh my god. Was he Julia Roberts? <laughs> what did he just decide to have a happy life that didn't <laughs> depend on the whims of other people? This was enough of a warning shot from the ring that he decided maybe this whole curse thing might be real so he took off the ring and kept it in storage until four years later apparently he forgot all about the young raja and he was ready to make the son of the sheik and he thought you know what i've got a great ring for this costume i know just the thing so he took it out of storage ward in that movie also this time he didn't even get to see if his movie flop because he died before it was released to the general public wow the ring strangled him on the spot (laughs) i told you i told you that leave me in storage pal the ring was also his agent i was a big fan of young raja see why didn't you let me be in the five (laughs) horsemen of the apocalypse so on august 15th 1926 rudolph valentino collapsed in front of his hotel in manhattan with what turned out to be complication of appendicitis Whoa. Suddenly, this guy's really uh, relatable to yeah, me. Yeah, suddenly um, I get it. So, so it was a complication of appendicitis and ulcers. I think it was kidney stones. It was so rare, though. This particular thing yeah. that killed him, it's so rare that it's now known as Valentino syndrome. Whoa. And on Garrett's August... disease and Valentino pretty syndrome? Pretty much. Yeah, he had both of them. <laughs> on August 23, he died at age 31. On his finger when he collapsed was the Ring of Destiny. Really? So now the ring took him, but a curse on a star like that doesn't just go away. The curse exploded out from around him. You'll remember from the first time we talked about him dying that there were riots in the street. People were so upset that he died. A lady in London drank poison and killed herself because of it and a guy in Paris covered himself in pictures of Rudy and then killed himself as well. Two women tried to kill themselves in front of the hospital that he was in. So it drove people insane. But with Rudy dead, his belongings now had to be dealt with. Pola Negri wanted something to remember him by so of course she chose his favorite ring. She started wearing it herself and ended up marrying some guy and tried to have a baby but sadly she suffered a miscarriage not long after that she got struck with a serious illness that i could not find what it was exactly but she got so sick that it completely sidelined her career and it never really picked up the momentum she had been building we're, we're talking about scary things and a baby's crying baby's in the distance crying while we were sitting by a warm fire how is this normal <laughs> i didn't invite this baby in <laughs> but supposedly once she stopped wearing that ring she mysteriously started getting better all of a sudden a little while later she started performing on stage with the singer named russ colombo colombo or as he was born ruggiero eugenio di rodolfo colombo russ is good <laughs> it's an acronym for <laughs> all of his other names this guy russ colombo had replaced bing crosby as the lead singer of the coconut grove orchestra okay and was well on his way to following in the footsteps of Crosby as well because not only could he sing but he looked like Rudolph Valentino like almost exactly like Rudolph Valentino so much so that he was known as Radio's Valentino or the Singing Valentino so his star was rising and had just starred in a movie for Universal called Wake Up and Dream and Negri liked him so much because of his resemblance to her old boyfriend that she decided to give her old boyfriend's old ring to him as a token of affection were they not getting it? why would I mean a couple incidents a couple incidents. Cu- oh, oh I, I almost died. Rudolph died wearing it. It's it a takes like, like it's like advertising. You got to hear the ad eight times before it sinks in, <laughs> and we'll get to eight. Don't worry. So she gave it to him as a token of affection. Colombo gladly accepted it and started wearing it because why wouldn't he want to wear Rudolph Valentino's old ring? Not long after this, this is insane. On September second, nineteen thirty-four, he visited his friend, the photographer Lansing Brown, and it was either his home or his studio. Either way, there was an antique 
pistol hanging on the wall. You're kidding. You think you know where this is going. His friend grabbed a cigarette and to light the match, he struck it on the antique pistol, which somehow fired its bullet, which hit a table and then bounced off the table and hit Columbo in the forehead and killed him at age 26, the ring of destiny on his finger. Who wrote this? Tex Avery? What? A little then, match against an old antique and gun And then it hanging. scared a bird and the bird flew over the pie and it knocked <laughs> over the pie. So strangely enough- Is that how Russ Columbo died? That's how Russ Columbo died. Strangely enough, he actually had a date that night with Carol Lombard, who herself would go on to die in a plane crash eight years later. Another weird side note to Russ Columbo's story is that when he died, his mom was having some serious heart problems and the family decided that the shock of his death would kill her. So instead of telling her, they pretended he was alive and sent her letters addressed from him, even some written by Carol Lombard. They kept this up until the day she died 10 years later. I don't know how they did that. My son doesn't want to see me. Oh my God, what if they had like a weekend at Bernie's thing with Russ Columbo's body? A big bullet hole in his forehead. Just mummify him. He can go anywhere. That's tragic. That's so upsetting to me. It's almost worse of of her like, he hasn't seen me in 10 years. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Now with Columbo dead, the ring was claimed by his cousin who didn't want it. So he gave it to an entertainer named Joe Casino who knew who that ring belonged to and knew its reputation, but still decided... I want this ring. Oh my God. Someone even offered him $300 for it, but no way was he going to part with this thing. But he was still kind of freaked out, it seems, because he decided to keep it locked up. But after a little bit, he decided probably is fake it's yeah. just coincidences <laughs> so he puts the ring on week later got hit by a truck and died oh my god <laughs> at this point word got out and people started drawing the connection by the general public between all these incidents and this ring so now rudolph valentino's cursed ring was a matter of public knowledge after joe casino died the ring went to his brother del i assume del casino which is uh it's spanish for other casino <laughs> del tacos expanding <laughs> they've got del casino we got del hamburger <laughs> del Wahlburgers. so del wanted nothing to do with this curse. So he locked it up in a safe inside his house. But as the years went on, the newspapers hadn't heard of any new victims of the curse. So they decided the curse is probably done. So Dell decided... I'm going to start wearing the ring. Enough time has passed. I'm done mourning the curse. <laughs> Surprisingly, nothing bad ever happened to Dell. But then he got real cocky and started loaning the ring out to people who wanted to borrow Watch, it. Watch, doesn't do anything. Watch. <laughs> Try it. See, just wear it for like a month. If you don't like it, I'll get it off your dead body. <laughs> <laughs> One person was a movie producer named Edward Small who had done The Count of Monte Cristo and Brewster's Millions. And now he was working on a biopic of Rudolph Valentino and was gathering a bunch of Rudy's actual old belongings to use in the movie. And the crown jewel which is just a ring was the ring (laughs) dell agreed to loaning it to small who then gave it to a guy named jack dunn dunn was a world-class figure skater who was the captain of the 1936 olympic skating team for britain and he also used to date sonia henny but now like sonia henny he wanted to start acting in movies now dunn also had a very strong resemblance to rudolph valentino so small called him in to do a screen test to star in the movie and gave him the ring wear this during the screen test it Mm -hmm. seemed to go great and he was all set to star in this new hollywood movie like this his career is gonna explode now to celebrate dunn went on a hunting trip with some of his friends in Texas. And again, you think you know where this is going, but the ring isn't that obvious. (laughs) On this trip, he must have touched some weird rabbit because he contracted a type of blood poisoning called tularemia, which is deadly for rabbits and rodents, but is extremely rare in humans and is only fatal in 1% of the cases. Dunn was the one person. He was dead two weeks after his screen test on the day he was supposed to start shooting the movie at age 21. So Dell got the ring back and decided maybe it's best to just lock this thing up again. I shouldn't be so loose, fast and loose with the ring. Who lends a ring? 
ring out. Anyways, go ahead. If it's Rudolph Valentino's yeah. ring, you lend the ring out. Fine. You want to borrow my ring? It's from uh, James Cagney. <laughs> oh, yeah. Give me, give me, give me. So he thinks, I'll lock it up. That's fine. It's safe. But it wasn't. One night, a guy named James Willis either heard about this ring and wanted it for himself or just wanted to rob Dell. But either way, he broke into Dell's house and cracked open the safe. An alarm was set off and police showed up at the house who saw Willis, fired a warning shot that was much more than a warning because it hit him and killed him. Okay. The ring was in his pocket. The warning, funerals are expensive. There's a warning. We don't know what's coming next. (laughs) So the ring was in his pocket when he was shot and killed. For the rest of Dell's life, the ring stayed in his safe. And when he died, the people who inherited his state decided to just keep the ring in the vault of a bank somewhere in LA. I could not find what bank it was. I don't know, but it doesn't end there. In the 50s or 60s, a guy named Alfred Hahn led a group of bank robbers and robbed this particular bank of $200,000 and the Ring of Destiny. The thieves were chased by cops and a couple of them were shot dead. Hahn was taken to court where he was sentenced to life in prison and said, had he known the ring was in that vault, he would have chosen another bank. Oh my god. But it didn't end there for the bank either. It was robbed several more times. There was a huge cashier strike and it also caught on fire but this is the last we know of the ring like i don't know it 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 might still be in whatever bank but some say it was actually stolen in one of the other robberies so it could be anywhere but again it doesn't even end there we don't know what the ring itself is doing to ruin people's lives right now but just the very residue of rudolph valentino is enough to still be causing tragedy there's a park in hollywood called delong pre park it's a tiny little thing it has absolutely nothing to do with rudolph valentino But for some reason, a statue was unveiled in this park called Aspiration by Roger Noble Burnham, who's the guy who also did the statue of Tommy Trojan at USC. Oh, okay. For whatever reason, it was dedicated to the memory of Rudolph Valentino. A bunch of his fans just got together after he died, paid for it. It was unveiled May 6, 1930, which would have been his 35th birthday. Ceremony was presided over by Dolores Del Rio, who died eventually. (laughs) Because everyone does. As we all do. As the police will warn you, we all die eventually. (laughs) They shoot you. It was a nice gesture, even though it didn't make any sense to put it there, but Unfortunately, this ring cursed anything to do with Rudolph Valentino deep. Slight trigger warning here. Uh, One year after the unveiling of this statue, a 14-year-old girl was found on the bench in front of the statue. She had been chloroformed and sexually assaulted and died shortly after at the hospital. Then on November 1st, 1934, a 30-year-old woman died in the bathroom right next to the statue after drinking a bottle of poison. Uh, For whatever reason, the park decided in July 1979 to double down on the Valentino Association and put up a bronze bust of him right near the first statue but there's also the stories of rudy's ghost being seen all around town his ghost has been seen at the beach house he lived in oxnard while he was filming the chic he's been seen in several hotels he used to stay at at paramount which is right by where his ashes are in the women's restroom at musso and frank's he's been seen oh, who hasn't in, in april 1989 a lady said his ghost stooped her in the middle of the night in what turned out to be an old apartment building that he used to go hang out in a lot and then of course there's his old home the falcon layer the original building was demolished in 2006 but almost everyone who has stayed there has some sort of story who had stayed there a woman was staying there shortly after he died and heard footsteps late at night and then went into the hallway and saw doors opening and closing on their own and i was going to say the weird thing was but that's pretty weird yeah his two great danes were still living there brownie and rudy which why would you name your dog after yourself <laughs> i never get to say my own name that's a good name i always want to call myself and yeah, tell myself, myself i was a good boy <laughs> so they had been trained to bark at anybody except valentino and while these doors were opening and closing they were completely silent so they should have been barking at yeah. this harry carey said he saw a ghost while he owned the property and several of the stable workers have seen his ghost petting a horse and they've quit like several people have yeah. quit 
quit. There have also been ghost horses seen there petting real people. <laughs> Pooping as they would. So some people think there are so many sightings of his ghost because he's trying to come back to destroy the Ring of Destiny once and for all, which yeah. is a Lord of the Rings reference that's too juicy to ignore. <laughs> but it's a weird thing that aside from just the people who were wearing the ring getting cursed in some way, it was just anybody or anything remotely related or nearby Rudolph Valentino because of this curse, yeah. it seems. Maybe the ring isn't cursed. Maybe he's cursed. Maybe. <laughs> maybe he cursed the ring. Anything revolving around his legacy, which leads to maybe one last incident that you could attribute to this curse. And we're going back a long way now, back to the first episode again. The Falcon Lair is in Beverly Hills on Bella Drive on a little hill that is right across a small street from another secluded house on a hill. And that little street is called Cielo Drive. Jesus. His house is a stone's throw away from the Sharon Tate murder house. Maybe it, it might just be emanating yeah. out of that area. I don't know. But weird. Weird. Very weird. Yeah. I love a good curse. Me too. I, I want to find, find the ring. ring. So I, I, I want to find the ring. I got to so get bad. that ring. Now we are Lord of the Rings. <laughs> if we can just gather like seven more men, yeah. maybe eight dwarves, of, five elves. Yeah. Just a varying Middle Earth ethnicities. Because we know that's what it is. We want to be inclusive. Yeah. So, okay, we'll invite uh, troll yeah we'll need a big guy we'll need a little guy we'll need a fast guy we'll need a strong guy <laughs> but they all have to be white stone <laughs> how come no one's addressed that yeah how come no one's talking about this <laughs> anyway that's our uh, haunted stories for the year good creepy stuff i like that that was yeah, fun those that was were fun. some pretty good episodes yeah i'm never gonna even look at my attic again that's another good criminal episode there's one i forgot which episode it is but a woman finds out that a man has been living in her attic that Terrifying. Okay, look, two of the, my biggest fears have been someone living in my attic and also kidney stones, and one of them has happened in the last month yeah, already. Yeah, well, get ready. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> I know you wanted to quarantine from people, but but yeah. I gotta look. find that ring. I gotta find Elizabeth Lake. I really want to go to Elizabeth Lake now. Yeah, like I want right to just now. drive around. Yeah, and just drive around it. What's that smell? Yeah. Um, hey, I've got a smell for you. It's the smell of... Uh, gratitude. It's the smell of gratitude. <laughs> and we would be so grateful if you would leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts on your iPhone. Open it up. Leave us some stars, some words. It helps us get more noticeable. Puts us higher up on the rankings. It helps us get new listeners, which is great. Or on anything else you listen to us on. Spotify. Uh, the radio. The radio. Leave a review <laughs> on your radio. You walk by a car in Brooklyn in 1950 and it's playing yeah. and as you walk by on a sidewalk and you're like... Yeah, what put, down your stick ball bat. Yeah, put down your stickball bat. Put down your stickball that catch the trolley so uh other than that you can follow us on instagram la underscore meekly on twitter at la meekly you can follow our personal twitters mm-hmm. i'm uh, at grego gonzo on instagram and grego underscore gonzo on twitter Who knows? i'll never know yeah. i'm at dm zaffron on twitter and boy do i get three likes <laughs> every single time consistently three likes and your last week got a retweet and i was like good for him yeah it was from matt Brousseau, oh, actually okay good for yeah. matt Brousseau. good for <laughs> good everyone for matt Brousseau. good for I, yeah. him good for you good for everyone god bless us every twitter account we have all of our stuff on youtube every episode and also segments mm-hmm. each segment individually and our live stuff you can watch that and if you want to support us financially on patreon we make no money doing this except for on patreon so it helps keep us going yep. for as little as five dollars a month we will send you those handwritten postcards that you can stuff in a trunk and the police can find 90 years later yeah and be like who oh, this is clearly the murder <laughs> clearly. let's dig up his body and do a bunch of tests <laughs> and rip his arm off or whatever we also have shirts too just in time for we hanukkah do. and christmas and if we do your prisons were a thing sure <laughs> they are now yeah well, yeah we still have shirts for sale hit us up on any of the places where you message people hit us up hit us a up. better phrase has never been spoken any last thoughts before you settle in for the season of spices and eggnogs uh, spice lights and eggnog november december are all about christmas music mm-hmm. and noir 
noir crime movies. So mm-hmm. that's I'm getting cozy. I'm getting ready to let that marinate. It's going to be a very different holiday season. Thanksgiving in a weird. couple of days. It's going to be very weird. I'm going to learn how to make a pie. Let's hope. <laughs> I'm going to learn how to put things into a tin and bake it. <laughs> yeah, it's nice seeing you again and nice seeing you healthy. I haven't seen you for a while, so it's good. Yeah, we recorded the last one early, so it's, yeah. uh, we had a little bit of a gap. And I'm one kidney stone lighter since yeah. then. You look um, better. You look just. Uh, you look like you've lost three millimeters. Maybe lost a toe or something. Is something different about you? Enjoy these with the lights off. Uh, yeah. Have, have fun uh, listening to these. Also, one last note: both Bob Baker and mm-hmm. Old Town Music yeah. Hall, among many other places, institutions in Los Angeles, are in a threat of closing because of COVID. Because it's been nine months and we've had no second stimulus check or no help from the government. So, if you could please donate to both those places, either of those places, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Bob Baker has a lot of celebrity backing right now. They're they getting do. a lot of publicity. But I, the Old Town Music call is Guess getting none so i'd like to concentrate a little bit on our side anyways on saving old time yeah. music because i know that everyone else is going to save bob baker they came for the bob baker and we said nothing, nothing. and then they came for that old time music hall I'm like, we, oh, i left my stuff there <laughs> and we couldn't say anything because they mostly show silent, show, show <laughs> silent films they mostly show the chic uh, so yeah if you can contribute anything for yeah, all season, they, that's a great place that would be a genuine tragedy if that were yeah close. there's nothing like no. the old there's nothing call. like that almost anywhere yes yeah. it's crazy and i really wish that they because they have that huge wall in that parking lot on the side like they could do they could a drive-in thing and have a wheel i've seen them wheel out a piano wheel yeah. out a piano play along with it the problem with the parking i think it's slanted parking mm. but it could uh, still stadium work. seating stadium seating yeah there are ways but they could be doing stuff but we, they need help that's not my position my position is trying to exactly. get them make it aware that they need a lot of help right now so if you have money we, we would really appreciate it yeah give it to both of us uh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give it to them we'll, we'll make sure that them. it gets to where it needs to go <laughs> it'll find the right wallets <laughs> so yeah have a good uh hanukkah and christmas uh for the love of god stay safe don't yeah, get stay sick home enough of the sickness already yeah. i can't take any more I'm, I'm ready to not do this anymore yeah. i want to go to a bar so bad <laughs> I, I want someone to make me a drink for 18 dollars, please i want to feel like i'm going to the hospital and i might die of appendicitis and not appendicitis and covid yeah i survived the first trip two weeks later yeah i'm back guess what wait till you hear my thing of the month next month (laughs) the icu so yeah enjoy the holiday season it's going to be weird and sad in a lot of ways but enjoy it as best it's also going to be kind of nice to just like i'm not going anywhere that's my dream every year is to not go anywhere (laughs) but i don't want to be forced to do it (laughs) i want to do it on my terms yeah Yeah. my terms um okay so the okay okay i'm (laughs) having a good time here so that's been yet another episode of la meekly hiding out in your attic since 2013 tap if you want us to come out those noises you hear it's the house settling hello herman (laughs) (laughs) Herman. do you have any typewriter oil